Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming great help I've come and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger Interposed his precious blood. Okay, well, here we are. We're going to do our year in review. And um, I always love catching up with you, Yen, and uh, talking about our last through last few episodes. And in this case, hearing from the listeners, getting a feel for what their favorite episodes of the year have been. This has been a crazy year. I think everyone is kind of so burnt out and exhausted from hearing about the challenges of 2020. I will say, um, obviously, I got to mention my dad. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know if you feel this way too, Yen. Prior to my dad, yes, a lot of bad things had happened last year, but a lot of good things had happened too. And my common response to a lot of this had always been, well, other than pandemics and politics my 2020 has been really good you know i got a job that i really really like my family's great not seeing a lot of friends is hard but we make the most of it when we can i have some friends in a bubble and so we spend some time together i miss concerts but and movies and all that kind of stuff but it's okay and um i don't know what when you look back on 2020 are there is are there some highlights as well as lowlights in your life oh i think I mean, obviously, I, I didn't get to see my son last, last yeah. year. Oh, at that's all. right. That's tough. You know, and yeah, and uh, so you know, we said to him that we'd make it up by giving a bit, giving a bit extra for birthday and Christmas. So the money I would have spent getting him here, I used to do stuff for him. And mm-hmm. and get him a get him a phone and get him various bits and pieces, and so he was pretty happy. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I I forgot about that. Nicholas is in Wichita, uh-huh. and uh, with his mom, and you guys have an arrangement. He comes out what six weeks every summer, and then every other holiday or something like that. And none of that was able to happen this year. Yeah, so he comes usually six, seven weeks of the summer and every other Christmas. And 
it was every Christmas, but she complained, yeah. so we switched it to every other. Mm. And so uh, last year, not, none of that happened. Yeah, that's tough. So, no, no travel. Yeah, you know it. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our. Um, I think I mentioned this to you like a year ago. Farah, my wife, had we had been talking about doing a. Uh, like a vacation to Scotland, not just to pop in and see you guys, but just see the wilds and, you know, the nature of Scotland and all that. And we had talked about doing that uh, this fall, this past fall. So September, October, November, somewhere in there. And then, of course, and I had mentioned this to you, we planned to come spend a couple of days with you and your family. And uh, when everything shut down, of course, we haven't been anywhere. We were able to go to Hawaii in February, and it was interesting on our way back, which was at the end of February, we were noticing, because there's always a lot of Asians flying in and out of Hawaii, coming from places like Japan and China and everything like that, and a lot of them had masks on. And uh, when we were flying back, we were hearing about this thing and this virus and who knows what this is, and it was just a week or two later that everything basically shut down. So um, anyway... Yeah, it was a it was a weird year. I don't want to get into it too much, but I should say a few things about my dad real quick. He did die on the thirtieth. One of the things, yeah, that keeps kind of knocking me out is uh, whenever you hear the statistics, you know, like four thousand people died today, and three hundred seventy three thousand people have died so far, or whatever, and you see those numbers on the news and stuff like that. But unless it's somebody you know. They're just ephemeral numbers floating out there that sound bad, yes, but it's not changing your life all that much. Just like any other tragedy, you know, there's a there's a hurricane in Mumbai, and none of us live in Mumbai, so we feel bad, but we don't feel connected. And and realizing that I'm our family now is one of those statistics. My dad was one of those people that a month ago was totally fine, and um, now he's gone. And uh, that's just really hard to swallow sometimes. And I'll be honest, and I know you wanted to say some things about him too, which I appreciate. Uh, the last, maybe, and I'm just going to be completely brutally honest. The last few years, my dad and I have had kind of a complicated relationship. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Maybe you can, yeah, and I don't know. Um, I feel like in some, some times in our relationships with our parents and family members, especially our parents though, it almost feels like we become the adult in the, in the relationship because everybody has kind of an arc to their life, right? They get, Uh they, they mature, they grow up. And then when they start getting old, they go, as we say, the other side of that hill and, and they become more feeble and frail and a little goofy and you're still young and vibrant. And I had, I've been feeling as if I was the adult in our relationship for a while. And that was starting to really bother me, especially because, and I don't know if you, maybe we can all relate to this in some ways. The older I've gotten, the more gaps, I guess, I've I've become aware of in my own life of things that I wish I knew or knew better or were better at or could do that my dad didn't teach me. And I carry some resentment toward that. And I think we all do. We all feel like, well, bottom line is we're all going to mess up our kids in some way or another, no matter how hard we try, because our kids are going to grow up wishing they had gotten more from us in a certain area. 
And the older I get, the more in neon those gaps had become. And I had grown resentful about a lot of those things. And then when my dad is becoming older, here's the thing, and you know this yet. My dad, just to give, paint a picture for everybody, imagine Richard Simmons, the cra <laughs> crazy fitness guru. That was my dad. My dad was like Richard Simmons. Just this flamboyant, funny, over-the-top, highly emotional personality. That was what it was like. And um, there were a lot of things I loved about him, and there were a lot of things that annoyed me about him. So my feelings now are all over the place because there's times when I think about the things that I'll never see again that make me so sad. And then there's times when I'm reminded of the things that were bugging me so bad that I just, the drama that I just wanted to end and that's gone too. And that part I don't mind so much. So anyway, my feelings are just basically all over the place. Can you relate to any of this? Does this make sense at all, Yan? I understand what you're saying. I typically don't have that problem though. That's good. Yeah. You had suggested opening with a song that my dad likes. Uh-huh. And um, there is one, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Come thou font of every that's blessing. It. Yeah, that's it. it. Okay, so that's what you heard is our opening song. That's the Chris Rice version. You had, um, what are some of your memories? Of well, there's a, there's a couple, there's a couple I'll share. And, and, and distinctly just, you know, that first summer we, we all met, mm -hmm. you and I disappeared off to the movies and they want, your, your mom and dad wanted to go with us. Uh-huh. 1991. Yep, yep. 1991. And the movie was Misery. Yep. That yep. was so good. It was and we're good. sat there, we're watching it, we're engrossed. Uh -huh. And we get to the point where she's taking the sledgehammer to his ankles, and we look around, and your dad's face is just like... <laughs> and didn't he look over at us like, how could you drag us to this movie? He yes. was so mad. That was, was like, hey, that was you the chose. Exact look. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that happened. Oh, and, my God. And so the next time they said, don't take us with you again. So we <laughs> right. took Steve. That's right. And we saw Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Of the Lambs. <laughs> and he was probably 13. 13. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve, my brother. Oh, classic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was priceless. And then the other one is. And this all started from a, just a, a, a trip to to see your folks after mm -hmm. a conference. I'd gone to a conference in Vegas for work. I decided to take a couple of days and go and see your folks mm -hmm. while while I was there. Because it was cheaper to fly back on, on a Monday than it was to fly back on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And so I go to your folks on the Thursday night after the conference is over. And your dad gives me this drink, and the important, and you know, you know what your dad's like. He always wants to take care of people, <laughs> and 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 help people. And and so he gave, he said, he told me things in the area that I could go and see. I'm like, oh, that sounds really great. I'll go and do that. And so he said, well, here, take this drink, and it was this, it was water, but it was it was raspberry, and and so it was red. And that's an important factor in the in the in the tale here. 
And so I disappear off. I stick it in the trunk and I disappear off to Zion National Park. And then I come back. And then the next next day I have breakfast with them. And I'm going off to see some friends in Salt Lake. And so I disappear off to Salt Lake. And I've completely forgotten about this drink that's in the in the trunk. And I'm driving around Salt Lake and I'm hearing this clunk and hoping I've not damaged the car. And so I keep drive around on this on the Sunday as well and driving back to St. George to your folks to, and I'm still hearing this clunk going, oh, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. So I get to your folks on, on the Sunday and then I get up to leave on the Monday to go to the airport to drive to, back to Vegas to the airport. I open the trunk to put my stuff in and there's this drink. I thought, oh, that's that's nice. I'll have that. I'll take it up with me in the in the car and I'll mm-hmm. have it while I'm going. Mm-hmm. And I figure it's been sat all night, so it should be okay. It should be still. I put it in there. I open it before I get into Arizona. Whoosh! And it just goes up and down. <laughs> And hits the seat and pulls to the and it pulls to the lowest point on the seat, and it's cold. It's really cold. Really. Yeah. Which is you'd be surprised. I mean, that surprised me for yeah St. George in May. The, the, I guess put sticking it in the trunk had kept it shielded wow. from the from the from the light and kept it cold. And so it hits the hits the seat and pulls to the lowest point. And I look at my hands like, oh, they're red. <laughs> so I, I just keep on going. I get to a gas station in Vegas. I go in and buy some some uh, napkins and some water and clean off the seat, clean off the car a bit. Uh-huh. And then I get to the airport. I walk through the airport. And I'm walking through with my arms that are red. And I'm like, oh, I'll fix. I'll just wash that off in Phoenix. Nobody says anything to me. I get to Phoenix, go into the bathroom, wash my arms off. And then I look up in the mirror as I'm drying. And my face is the same color as my arms. Really? The, the red's all over the place. Yeah, I'd gone that everywhere. <laughs> and that also. And then, I, you know, and I get home back to Wichita. And I pull my jeans off. And the whole seat is red because from where it pulled to the lowest point of the and that all stems oh, from going from a trip to see your folks. Oh, no. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> so you're red. You look like you've just murdered somebody, but you don't know that. And uh, you just go through life and everyone's looking. Well, look at that red guy over there. What I'm is sure that? did. But it was Vegas. <laughs> Nobody says anything. True, true, true. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll be missed, Terry Lamoureux. It uh, it's still not hitting me. In fact, just this morning, our friend Hayden from the NXS All Access podcast pinged me and asked how I was doing. And as a lot of you have, and I'm so grateful. Um, it just really comes and goes. I don't know how else to describe it. In fact, sometimes it feels like um, like you've been in a car accident and you come out of it and you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, really, I'm fine. But then a couple of days later, the whiplash starts to kind of show up and the injuries that you were too adrenalized or too on, too numb to at first to really recognize. I've had moments of that. So it really just goes in and out. Some days I'm, some parts of some days I'm totally fine. And some parts of some days I start to really sink. 
into a dark place. So it's uh, it's weird. The bottom line of all of this, I guess, is that even the people who are in your life that you're supposed to love, that you have complicated relationships with, just do your best to focus on the love part. Focus on the positive part. I'm really lucky that I was able to be in the room with dad when he died with my mom and my sister and we're all in hazmat suits. By the way, I don't know if I told you this. He was he was hallucinating near the end and for whatever uh, he was he and my mom liked the Great British Baking Show and so he was hallucinating about cakes and croaking bushes and uh just it was so strange and it was really funny and I'm laughing but he's about to die. It was weird, but anyway. So anyway, hallucinating that, would be a combination of the the drugs that they're using to keep mm-hmm. him sedated and the the oxygen stash from his brain. That's it. Yep, that's exactly it. So yeah, it's a it's a trip when you see a parent take their last breath and everything. Oh my gosh. So yeah, when we drove to Utah for Christmas, we didn't know that uh, before we came back ten days later, we would have my dad die and put on a funeral and a graveside service all before driving home. It was a trip. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know if people care, so I'm not going to get too deep into my dad, but anyway, thanks for all your concern, everybody. Um, Okay. The next thing I want to mention real quick before we get into the episodes is I'm still fuzzy on this yet, but I think we've recently became a part of the Pantheon podcast network. And um, I was trying this week to get an idea of what that meant, there was a, some delay in this because as some of you have noticed and comment to us, not all of our podcasts have been on Spotify. And I think the reason for that is because, and we didn't know this until recently, Yan, for quality's sake, usually puts our episodes in MP4 and um, because the quality is better. But come to find out, Spotify can't accept MP4 files, Right. So you've had to transfer so, yeah. all of them into MP3 files so that they would show up on Spotify. And I think you recently completed that, right? So I know Peter from Pantheon was doing some some work on that. So he's batch converted a bunch of stuff. And anything that he doesn't have, I'm going through and putting back to MP3 and uploading it to their site. Okay. Yeah, we're st- so we're still figuring all this out. Um, I it's my lapse. I need to start getting in the habit of mentioning it on our episodes. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, our buddies at Decibel Geek are on there. Our buddy Brad Page with "I'm in Love with That Song" is on Pantheon. BJ Cramp from Rock and or Roll, our other buddy, he's going to be joining the network soon and relaunching Rock and or Roll. And so we're and there's lots of other great podcast most of them music related on that network as well so i don't know how official it is i don't know what it exactly means yet but you are probably i want to announce it here more formally and uh so you may be seeing one of the one of the things that yan and i were very sure of or specific about joining the net the network was that we wanted to just be able to continue to do what we want to do and without any kind of interference or if we have to like change or censor or edit 
um, the way that we produce this show, then we weren't that interested. And they assured us that was not the case. They like what we do. They don't want to change it. It might just be a matter of sometimes saying we're on the Pantheon network, maybe having other members of the network on the show once in a while to talk about something, expanding our network, which we are always open for anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think we're in Pantheon now, but uh, I don't exactly know what that means. So what, one of the things that will happen is at some point here, once I get finished all the updates to their to their site, uh, our post will, uh, probably won't say Podbean on the episode. That's right. Post, so they'll say some they'll say something else. That's right. Uh, I need to figure out exactly how that works mm-hmm. because I'm not overly impressed with the. Pod, with, with the the uh, new hosting content. site yeah isn't it megaphone i believe yeah. so yeah yeah so i we're still working out the kinks it's new and um it's not even 100 percent locked in well i don't know i don't know what it is yet i was hoping to get confirmation before we recorded this and i didn't get any uh haven't heard from anyone so but anyway we'll keep you guys posted um okay Beyond that, let's talk about the last three months. We, um, it's been a busy, well, it was a busy year because of coronavirus. We've, uh, had lots of people available to talk. So there's a lot, there's been a bonus episode almost every week. There was almost as many bonus episodes as there were definitive Tuesday episodes. So there's always a lot of ground to cover and we'll get into what people's favorite episodes are and stuff like that. But let's start with the last few weeks or the last few months. First of all, I think it kicked off with Peter Cox of Go West. I don't know how many people out there are Go West fans, but um, I love them. I especially love the uh, self-titled debut album. It's one of my favorites. And Peter, I thought, would just be the perfect guy to have on the show for years. And I've tried so many times to email him, stalk him on Twitter, which I don't really like to do, um, so I don't do it very often. And, um, And I've never, ever heard back. And I just thought, how busy could Peter Cox be? Why not? You know, I love him. Come let me love you, Peter Cox. And um, finally, I think it was Julian Mendelssohn, who I, uh, you know, early guest this year. Great guy. I think I reached out to Julian and Julian put me in contact with Peter, I believe, and uh, finally made it happen. And that one, thankfully, kind of went viral. Peter liked our conversation, shared it. And when he did, I had no idea how devout Peter Cox and uh, Go West fans were, but they got behind that one and it really took off. And I'm really glad. Um, That one meant a lot to me. I don't know if it's something that resonates with everybody, but I really love that one. Are you a Go West fan at all, Yeah, I like some of their stuff and it certainly fits into what we look to do. I mean, you think about, you know, he's had a career in music He's been able to maintain a career in music and pay his bills through a career in music off of maybe a handful of songs. Yeah, that's it. And so, he, you know, there's certainly, uh, for aspiring musicians, he could he could certainly give them good advice. Yeah, I think you're right. And he's also, I think about him sometimes as well as like half the people we've had on the show because with touring coming to a stop, and that being the primary source of income for so many people who don't make lots of money on royalties from their songs, um, they're really in a bind. And so 
a guy, someone like Pete, I'm, I get worried about him, but that's true for so many people that we've had on the show because touring's how anyone makes a living these days. Um, after Peter Cox, there was youth. That was another huge moment for me. So I have, uh, I'm a big youth fan because of not only because of killing joke, but a, largely a lot of his production work. Yes. The orb and stuff, but really the verve and credit house and stuff like that. And, um, as you guys all know, I'm a big Blow Monkeys fan too, and I've thankfully from having Dr. Robert and the Blow Monkeys on here a couple of times, forged a pretty good relationship with him as well. And when Youth and Robert collaborated on that song, Get Yourself Together, which is so good and funky, um, I reached out to Robert and I said, do you, do you think Youth would talk to me? He seems like a really trippy guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure he would. And he gave me his email address and sure enough, Youth replied right away, and we talked and uh, it was weird because we were supposed to talk at a certain time and it got postponed about four hours because he was out uh, in the wilderness, like grabbing food and then going on hikes. And uh, it was so weird. And then we were on Zoom and I think you saw this too, Yen. He was just sparking up spliff after spliff after spliff the entire time <laughs> with a cat crawling all over him and the keyboard and uh he's got his like altoid little tin altoid tin that's got all of the seeds in it so he's just opening and closing the altoid tin and the cat cat's stepping on it and that's where all of his you know he's just lighting up another spliff right after the other one's over it was round and round and round and so he was a super trippy guy but that creative trippy mind is behind so much great music do you remember this yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and that Verve album that you worked on is one of my favorites. Me too. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I, I you know, I would have liked to have talked more deeper about, uh, more deeply, I should say, about Killing Joke. But he left before the period of Killing Joke that I really like, which is like the Love Like Blood period. But still, I got to see them in concert a while back, and I love Youth. He's gonna possibly come up here a little bit later. Um, the Eddie Van Halen tribute with Mark uh, Torian of Bullet Boys. Mark is such a sweet, positive guy. I do get the impression that, well, anyway, okay. So he, I asked him to come on to talk about Eddie because there's a lot of crossover there. There's the Ted Templeman produced both their albums. They kind of came up together. And then when Mark came on, he didn't want to talk about um, his, his, he didn't want to tell any specific firsthand stories. Either he said he wanted to protect them, either that or he didn't have as many as I thought or whatever. I don't know. But in spite of the possibility that Mark could be full of it sometimes, I think he's also a really sweet heart of a guy and a positive force. And um, he's he I relate to him a lot because at the end, even though we've only talked a couple of two or three times, you know, it was really sweet that he ended the conversation telling me he loved me. I do that a lot, too. And so I love him, too. And uh I just thought he was a good guy to bring back on to talk about Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, I, I really liked what he said. He, even though he didn't want to share some of those really personal stories, I really felt like he did a good job of relating to Eddie Van Halen, and mm -hmm. and it was a good tribute. It was. And it's just always like, you know, now that we know three or 400 people we try to we figure any big name dies and we might know somebody who knows them let's see if we can get some firsthand you know stories and experiences and um 
uh, we'll talk more about that with the Tony Lewis tribute here in a little bit. But anyway, Mark's a sweetheart. I'm glad he came back. And uh, and then we brought back Andrew Ferris, too, of In Excess to do a promo mode. That one was interesting because I got an email from his PR guy saying, would you be interested in talking with Andrew Ferris? And I don't know, maybe it was a form letter that he just sent to all the people on his contact list because Andrew and I had just talked a few months before and um, really in depth. But now that the EP was out, maybe he was just, you know, blanketing everybody again with a mass email and i didn't really feel like i needed to talk to andrew again because we had gotten pretty deep the first time but then i thought and i think i ran this by you yan what are you thinking you're like it's andrew ferris yes talk to andrew ferris again are you nuts you know <laughs> yeah so so i figured why not you know he's a legend and we, everybody loves in excess let's talk to him again sure and it was good it turned out really good it did and at first, I have to admit, I thought that him going country was a really weird thing to do. And it is and it is if you think about it in that way. But his talent at songwriting is still so strong that and they feel like pop country, country pop songs. There is still some a lot of Andrew Ferris uh, quality level in those tracks. And so um, I think even if you're not a country person, but you appreciate excellent songwriting. I would think you would still get off on the Andrew P Ferris country EP. It's still good stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about Frankie Sullivan from survivor for a minute. This one was really interesting because, and again, I don't want to name names, but some of you have mentioned this to me as well. Um, I had been going after Frankie for a while and I specifically wanted Frankie because uh, obviously, Jimmy Jameson is not here anymore, and I had tried David, um, what's his name, the original lead singer. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? Anyway, he I never heard back from him, and he's done just about every friend of ours podcast as well. Jim Peterick, I've heard on other podcasts. So I wasn't, he was in second place, but I really wanted Frankie. Well, he, um, one of our podcast friends, interviewed him. And pinged me afterwards and said, I just did the worst interview that I've ever had. And um, I'm not even going to put it out. It was so bad. I'm like, who could that be? He tells me Frankie. And I was like, I have been dying to get Frankie forever. I've tried so many times. I've never gotten anywhere. I'm sorry that you had a bad experience, but I want to try. I'm going to, I want to try take a crack at this because I, he's who I want. So our buddy hooked me up with his email address, and sure enough, I had a I got to interview Frankie, and we hit it off. And I it's so interesting because if you look on YouTube and everything, there's loads of other Frankie Sullivan interviews that are really awkward and they're not very good. He's not that great of an interview. He's a little spacey, a little befuddled, but he and I hit it off, and I don't know how we did that, but we did. And Frankie didn't end up quite make the top ten of our listener picks, but there were several people who picked that one as one of their best episodes of the year. And that really warms my heart because by all accounts, it should have failed, but it turned out great. It was like an hour and 45 minutes of he and I just bonding and hitting it off. He's a real sweetheart of a guy. I was shocked that it went as well as it did. Oh, it did. I mean, and I cleaned it up enough that it was, it turned out good anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Are you a survivor fan? I mean, who can't, who isn't a survivor <laughs> fan? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 
And I know he's been, ha- I know he's had to talk about Eye of the Tiger a million times. I was trying to ask some different questions and I was really proud of myself that I thought of at least one that he hadn't been asked before when I was asking what would the fate of that song had been if it hadn't been selected for the movie? Would it have ended up on the next Survivor album? Would it be a B-side? And he was like, I don't know. I've never thought of that before. That yeah. that did my heart good. Um, so anyway. Oh, I, I, really I like that. But, yeah. You know, that you know, when you come up with something, they go, oh, I haven't thought of that before. Yes. Like, oh, awesome. Yes. I love that. That and, uh, oh, good question. You, you guys should, whenever you're an interviewer and someone says, good question, even if they say it because they're stalling, that means a lot. That's always a good vote of confidence. Okay, the Martin Page deep dive uh, with the Maurice White album. I, The bottom line is I just, I like Martin Page a lot. He's a really nice, jovial guy. And I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And I thought, how can I, what excuse is there to reconnect with Martin? I like Martin, you know? And um, he's written so many songs, but there weren't a bunch of albums where he could go track by track, unless they were his solo albums, With which I'm not the world's biggest fan of his solo albums, I gotta say, and that was something we talked about. He as a guy is so funny and upbeat, and his solo albums are so heavy and 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 macabre and kind of serious and all this stuff. And I, that's just such a, that's a weird, uh, connection there. I don't know how or why he is built that way, but he is. So I was hoping to talk about something else, and I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Maurice White's album made a lot of sense. So I don't, I mean, that one didn't get downloaded a ton, but I um, I think his podcast is a lot of fun, and I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I really just wanted to reconnect with Martin, so that's why we did that one. Maybe you should have talked about, with him about Earth, Wind, and Fire instead of Verdine. I, I know... <laughs> Verdine. Oh boy. Verdine is, uh, that might be the worst interviewing experience I think that we've had so far. That was bad. And it's so sad because I, I love Earth, Wind & Fire so much, but it was really awkward. Um, yeah, I, I, I just thought this, Verdine was not up to, into talking to me too much. So if I want to get some good Earth, Wind & Fire anecdotes, this might've been the best way to go. And and it turns out it probably was. Um, John Fryer, the producer, also of Black Needle Noise, he was great. He wasn't super talkative, you know. I uh, he wasn't the warmest, but he was sort of. Some people are kind of cold in a frosty, mean way. He was sort of a cold in a suspicious, I'm on to you kind of way, sort of with a wink, you know, like he's being a little. There's some devilishness. There's some sarcasm in there. I really liked John. I, I wanted. I would have liked more stories, more backstories about the stuff we talked about, especially Nine Inch Nails, which he didn't seem that interested in going on about. But um, I was really, I mean, Yaz and uh, Cocteau Twins and so many great things that we got to talk about still. And um, I love that music so much. So that part was really fun. John was great. He just was different. And it's funny too. He uh, he's all tatted up. He's an older guy, but he's all tatted up. He's got his gray hair. He's got you know um, creative facial hair and stuff like that. It's uh, he looks like you think he's gonna look. It was it was pretty funny. Um, okay, I want to talk about Andy Ross. So Andy Ross uh, put out an album last year called The Fear Engine, which is one of my favorite albums of the year. And um, here's a story on that one. Their public his publicist approached me. And um, 
said, you know, would you be interested in Andy Ross? He's worked with this person, that person, this person, Howard Jones, Paul McCartney, and a few others. Robert Palmer, I think, was on that list. And um, I'm like, well, I like all those people a lot. Let me see. Let me see if there's enough there to sustain. I don't like... I like doing promo modes, but I like doing them with people we've already had on the show once and gotten into their full career. I don't like bringing people on for the first time specifically to do a promotional interview. I want to get to all their stories and promote whatever their new thing is. So I um, I thought, well, let me do some research on Annie Ross and see if there's what other stories there might be in there. His dad playing the saxophone on Walk on the Wild Side was a really good sign. His dad teaching saxophone to young Davey, uh, David Bowie is also very cool. When I started looking him up, I noticed that the, the connection to people like Robert Palmer and Paul McCartney were very thin. It was, you know, shared stage once or worked on something, but not directly. There was a lot of Howard Jones, and I think as everyone knows, I love Howard Jones, but I didn't want to bring him on just to talk about Howard Jones. And so I'm trying to find, um, it, was, <laughs> it was interesting. If you go on Andy's website, there's a collage of photos of people he's worked with. And one of the photos on there is of Kevin Armstrong, our friend who's been on the show. And it's the picture that's on the back of the Tin Machine album. So after I see that, I ping Kevin. And I said, how do you know Andy Ross? And he said, I know a few Andy Rosses. Which Andy Ross is this? And I sent him the link. And uh, he's like, well, that's, that's a little odd because the only thing I know about Andy Ross is that I knew David and Andy was, when Andy was a little kid, he would sometimes be in the room or there with us because of his connection to David Bowie and Kevin being in the room. So there was a lot of tenuous connections here. So anyway, I was hesitant, but I thought, well, let's see what I can do. Let's see if I can drag enough stories out of him and let me listen to the Fear Engine. Let me check out this album. I really love that album. And I think it's a really important album for this, this time that we're in asking these kinds of very important esoteric questions like you know why are people not more happy how do we battle to get more ha to get greater happiness why do we live in fear why are we afraid of looking foolish in front of our friends why do we not trust people all these big questions esoteric questions and i felt like he was approaching them in a very important way and the album was so good that i thought let's do this anyway and he was such a sweetheart I, uh, I just wanted to share that with people. And it, uh, you know, it wasn't one of our biggest downloaders or anything like that, but I encourage all of you to, if you don't want to listen to the episode, that's fine, but look up the fear engine on Spotify or whatever, and just give it a listen. Cause it's worth your time. It's asking some big questions and it's attempting to answer those questions in a way that's unique. And the music is beautiful. So that's my pitch for Andy Ross. He was in, he was interesting. And I'm glad we got that out when we did. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks for the reminder. Yes. We really had to kind of hustle, no, no pun intended, to get it out before the election because there were that conversation tied into a lot of the sort of tension and cognitive dissonance going on in so many people's heads, especially in the America in America leading up to the the uh, election. And so I thought it was really important to get that out ahead of time. And we managed to do that. Hopefully people listen to it. So uh, anyway, Richard Barone of, um, of um, 
Why am I suddenly forgetting Richard Barone's band? Bongos. Bongos. Jeez. I kept saying the D, thinking the DBs. I knew that wasn't it. Anyway, um, I really, really like Richard Barone a lot. And I, let me say one thing. Stephen Poshman, who is kind of our grammar police. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I say a lot of dumb things on here. In fact, on the last episode with James Williamson, I asked him if he wants to keep making Stones music when what I meant to say was Stooges music. And it, it of course I know the difference between Stooges and Stones, but one just slips out of my mouth because I'm not thinking. Well, that happened on this episode. Their album is called Drums Along the Hudson, which is a play on the title of an old movie called Drums Along the Mohawk. And that's what I said in the episode was Drums Along the Mohawk. And I just sound stupid. And it's because my mouth is going faster than my brain oftentimes. But Richard Barone, I think, is a really fascinating character because he was one of these people who just inserted himself into the lives of the people he loved and respected. People like Andy Warhol, people like Tony Visconti, people like Bowie, whoever, uh, Tiny Tim, whoever it might be. He loved these people so much that he moved to where they were, he found ways to infiltrate their lives and to, and to love them and to befriend them. And I, and all the people he loves are the people I love too. Andy Warhol and, and uh, Bowie and Mark Boland and Tony Visconti, I love those people. So I really thought he was a fascinating character. And the flat fact that he's kind of like sexually ambiguous, he likes guys, he likes girls. I mean, he really took the influence of those people and built his entire life around it. And he's a fantastic songwriter. And um, I just thought, what an interesting character to uh, to learn from, you know? I love his stuff. And that was the one we had the Tiny Tim song, Never Seen a Straight Banana. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd sit and listening to that song, watching him singing it, just dying laughing. <laughs> I love that one. I've been holding on to it for a while because this, all these time-sensitive episodes pop up and the ones you've been hanging on to just keep getting pushed and pushed. And um, I purposely put that, I had a feeling that not his name wasn't as big as some of the others, even though I think he's fantastic, um, as some of the other people. And so I purposely put it out on election day because I thought people are going to be kind of focused on other things. Let's not worry about competing. Let's let people find this episode when they're ready. I hope more people go back to it because I thought it was great. I really like Richard Barone a lot. And I have to thank that one, as, as is often the case, Steve Cooper of Cooper Talk helped us out with that one. I mean, there's really a, a trifecta here. There's Noel Fogelman, there's me, and there's Steve Cooper. I mean, there's a bunch of others, but the three of us especially just kind of <laughs> help each other out. When one of us interviews somebody, the other he puts in a good word for the other two and vice versa, and then we all just kind of try and hit some of the same guests. Uh, after that was Nick Lane. That one was, that was an instant classic. There was just so much gold flowing out of that uh, episode. Didn't you think, Yen? Oh, that was that was superb. Yeah. Just, just the, the the stories about John Lydon was was great. <laughs> That's right. The John Lydon stories, and he tells it so well. And the Phil Collins story of of the drums in in the air tonight, and being in the room when that happens, and what it's like recording Nick Cave and how you piece those things together. The in excess stuff, obviously. I mean, he told that story of 
Michael Hutchins telling him, you know, I can't even taste my girl's pussy, which is a uh, such a <laughs> such a bold provide. I was not ready for that. And as soon as he says it, I'm like, whoa, you know, no one's ever just said those words that casually on this podcast before. It feels strange to even say them now, but that's that's the reality. And I mean, as you know, as uh, sensitive or sexual as that as that imagery is, that really says a lot. You can imagine someone as sensuous as Michael Hutchins saying such a thing and being sad about it. Yeah. I, um, when we did that, when, when you sent that to me, and I'm listening through it, I nearly dropped the laptop because <laughs> I was laughing so hard, but he said. <laughs> Me too. It was just such a shocking thing to say out of nowhere. But I loved it, and I loved him for saying that. It's interesting, when I uh, reached out, so I had watched the Mystified documentary of Michael Hutchins on Amazon Prime, and Nick is featured heavily in there. And I always do... Yeah, please. If people haven't seen that documentary, it is amazing. It really is, isn't it? And it's... I mean, it's so sad it is so heavy you feel so sorry for him you know from hutchins it is it weighs heavily on you it is some very effective filmmaking because you are dragged through the emotional ringer that he went through every day feeling that way you know it's a it's not an easy watch but it is so good and um i'm glad you said that he so yeah i watched that and nick's in it and um I thought, I love what that guy's done. I should see if he'll come on. And he agreed. And he said, let me know, give me, send me a list of what you want to talk about. And I literally emailed him twice with probably 30 or 40 total artists that he's worked with that I wanted to talk about. And he's like, well, that's a lot, but we'll see what we can do. And he and I talked for three hours and we got to about eight of them because these stories were so long, but so good, so in depth. And it could have gone longer, but we kept having these uh, Skype kept crapping out on us after a while. And um, anyway, I don't normally like to do part twos, but I, in that case, I think it needs to be done because my feeling is whatever, it's like the deleted scenes on a DVD. If we didn't get to it the first time, how important is it really, you know? But there are some people like Holly Knight got cut off short, Nick, several other people where there's just so much more to explore um, I am going to try and reconnect with some of these people and do a part two and maybe we'll make them bonus episodes or whatever. Are you game for that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, Holy Knight definitely needs a part two and so does Nick. Yeah. And he agreed to do it. So I just need to get back on the, on the horse and reach out to him. Uh, that one was a very popular one among our listeners too. So that may come up a little bit later. The Tony Lewis tribute, um, I just think it is so sad that Tony Lewis of the outfield is not with us anymore because after his musical partner and best mate, John Spinks, died, who's the creative force of the outfield, uh, Tony, to me, uh, Tony seemed to me just lost. Like, what do I do? I don't know how to proceed without my best friend and without the guy who writes the songs that I sing. I'm not much of a songwriter, you know? And he took years trying to decide, I think, what to do. And when he finally felt confident enough, like now's the time, I think I can go back out there and do this. He gets to do a year or two victory lap and then he dies. And this should have been 
the golden years of his life, living like, you know, reaping the benefits of all those years of great music and uh, feeling confident enough to go out there and do it on his own. And now he's not here. And um, I and ha him having been on our show and having the William Whitman connection, producing those first couple of outfield albums, it we just had to bring him back on to talk about Tony and uh, get to know him a little better. And I'm glad we did. The Outfield are a special band that I don't think enough people realize. I think they think of your love. Josie's on a vacation far away. And that's really all they think about. And there's so much more to this band that needs to be explored. Anyway, Tony's a sweetheart of a guy, don't you think? Oh, yeah. 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 And, it, that, and like you said, if, if, you know, if you haven't listened to it, go back to episode 164 and listen to Tony's interview. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he was just a really regular guy who was blessed with an otherworldly singing voice and uh, found a way to use his talent to the fullest. And I, that we should all be so lucky, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, after that was Steve Stevens. Um, that was a dream come true interview. Okay, so let me say what, real quick. I, I think as some of you guys know, if I see somebody on several other podcasts, I kind of lose interest because I figure their story's already out there and I don't like the feeling of like sloppy seconds. I like doing something that's kind of more unique. And um, Steve was making the rounds. He'd been on Rock Solid. He'd been on Cooper Talk, I think. And maybe even with Noel, I don't remember. But Steve was out there kind of making the rounds. I had been wanting to reach out to Steve for years. And the reason I didn't was because a few years ago, if anyone remembers Brian Sword's Double Stop podcast, which is hasn't been around for years and I, I miss it, Brian did what I think is the ultimate interview with Steve Stevens. Um, Brian had the conversation with Steve that I would have wanted to have, touched on everything that I would have wanted to touch on. And so I never felt compelled. I thought, well, as long as that one's out there, I don't know that I can better that. And I still believe that. But when it came time and Pat and Steve are like, you, got, you want to talk to Steve Stevens? It's like, of course I do. I love Steve Stevens. And... Um, we were a little pressed for time because I did it during a lunch hour at on a work day and I had other meetings I had to get to. And um, I don't know that I had as definitive a uh, conversation as I would have liked. I could have gone song by song deep into the weeds on every little morsel of information. I didn't want to do that. Um, I could have, but I didn't think it was right. But um, so I don't know that it was as it lived up to what I wanted it to be, but I'm happy with it. And it showed up on a lot of people's best of the year list, so I'm glad about that too. No, it was uh, it was really good. I'm glad you said that. I I mean, it was good. It wasn't what it wasn't my idea of good. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be for myself. I have expectations for a lot of these of what I think they can be based on my love for them and my history with them and knowledge of them. And if they don't reach that potential, I get a little down on myself. And that one was one of them. But I'm glad it happened. I'm really glad Steve Stevens has been on our show. And what's interesting is he never retweeted it, but Billy Idol did. So it did pretty well. <laughs> that part's nice, you know. Um, after Steve was Terry Manning. So we had a lot of producers, and I didn't want to run them all back to back, so I would space them out every other one. And because of who I am and who we are, we cover a lot of 
you know, 80s alternative producers, especially Brits, because those guys made the music that I love the most. Well, here's Terry Manning, who did, who didn't, he was American, he's from Texas, and he works with, you know, uh, George Thorogood and ZZ Top and Jason and the Scorchers and all that kind of stuff. And that's not ground we normally cover, but I love that stuff too. And um, what's interesting is that BJ Cramp uh, requested Terry a while ago. And I thought that's a good idea. And I have been toying with the idea of doing an episode that focuses just on the Compass Point um, studio or George Martin's Air Studio, these tropi- these studios in tropical locations where people go there to record albums, but you know they're just spending so much time on the beach. It just sounds so idyllic and paradisical. And I want to know what, I wanted to hear stories about this. So I had the idea of doing a specific Compass Point episode, talking with people about what it was like working there and recording albums there. And um, Terry managed the place for almost 20 years. And so I thought, perfect. But his stuff was so good. I didn't want to have him just be a part of an over, you know, a themed episode. I want Terry to do his own thing. And I'm so glad because it was different. We covered different ground than we normally cover on the podcast, but it's just as good. And he was fantastic. So many great stories that we didn't even get to. I mean, he's in the room with Al Green and Otis Redding and Isaac Hayes and these legends that we don't get to talk about often enough. And I was just so glad that we had that conversation. And a big thanks to BJ for put, planting the seed in my mind a year or two previously that we I needed to talk to him. I, that's another favorite of mine as well. Oh, yeah. He was he was great. His, his Otis Redding story was, was really good. And mm-hmm. I loved the stuff about the, the studio in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. with uh, Lenny Kravitz yes I mean, and, and the Bjork story where she wants to record herself out in the ocean yep just crazy yeah and you know I think you're, they're probably, you're probably right a lot of those actors wanted to go to that studio because they could hit the beach mm-hmm. I mean, you could hit the beach in the Bahamas or you could hit the studio somewhere further mm-hmm. north and it'd be colder <laughs> Where do you think you'd want to go? Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. I'll take the one up north, please. It's freezing cold. Uh, No, let's have the beach. Especially if you're like a rich and famous rock star that can do whatever you want and live as hedonistically as... Anyway, it just... uh, That was a great one. And Terry's going to come up again later, too. Um, Real quick, so the Nelson deep dive. Again, I just... uh, Matthew and Gunner were making the rounds on Cooper Talk and stuff like that again. And I always liked, I met Gunner at the first Rock and Pod Expo. I talked to Matthew shortly after that. I really loved that first Nelson album, After the Rain. It just was an excuse to reconnect. I will say, I love uh, Gunner's passion. I saw something recently where he was doing what is driving me crazy, where he was uh, um, comparing COVID to the flu. And maybe he got misquoted. Maybe that wasn't what he meant. I never read the whole article to see. I meant to, and I hadn't gotten around to it. Um, That way of thinking really drives me crazy, obviously, because I don't know anyone that's ever died of the flu, but I now know a few people that have died of COVID, including my own dad. So please, let's not make that comparison anymore. So anyway, that that ruins that one a little bit for me, but I'm glad it's out there. It was fun. And he was just so full of passion that you... It's infectious, you know? 
Yeah, and he, he talked quite a good bit about his dad on that one, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a really talented couple of guys. And you don't think about that because they were so pretty and blonde and, you know, the end of hair metal and stuff like that. But there there's more to them than that. That's not really what they were. They were pop song classicists that had the talent to do just about anything they wanted because they look a certain way, they get discounted, but that happens a lot. Kip Winger, that's what happened to him too. Those guys are great at what they do. Um, okay, Melissa Manchester. I uh, That one was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. I'm glad it was on Zoom because I could look at her and just looking at the face of Melissa Manchester, who I... I sort of see because of my dad's influence as being of my parents' generation, you know, like a Bette Midler or something. Somebody who was really big right before me, not a part necessarily of mine. So it makes them feel even like more classic or antiques, probably the wrong word because I'm not implying that they're old, but just they, they're more just the roots are part of the roots of popular music and looking in the face of Melissa Manchester, the space I've known my whole life and being able to talk with her was a surreal, surreal moment for me that hasn't happened very often. And I'll just tell you one other thing. I, again, after it happened, I immediately called my folks and told them about it and they were so proud. And uh, my dad, um, being the fan that he is, he was like, you've got to put that one out in December. Don't you think something about Melissa Manchester just says Christmas time or something? You got to put that one out in December. If I now it wasn't there were several episodes before that came before her that hadn't come out yet. I'm so glad I put it out in December because then my dad got to hear it before he died. And I don't know that it changed anyone's life, but it, if I had been holding on to that one and it came out after my dad died, I would have a lot of regrets. So I'm really glad that I bumped that one up in the order so that my dad could hear it what four weeks before he died something like that so anyway it's a good one yeah hang, yeah and then i'll tell you exactly here in just a second because i'm actually looking at that right now december 2nd that's when that weeks. one came out yep so exactly four weeks exactly four weeks yeah yeah it um yeah i'm glad that i'm glad that one went through that was a surreal experience for me um, the Christmas panel, I'll just be quick about it. That one was, I didn't want to overthink it. I used to do those panels when everyone was on lockdown. I wasn't working. I had lots of time. And uh, the intention originally was to expand my personal network, get to know other podcasters that I don't know as well. People with really popular ones, less popular ones. Let's all get together and help each other out. And um, when our friend Anthony Porter from Three Chord Money sent me his new song, um, hey, it's Christmas. That's what it's called, right, Yan? Yep, hang on. I've got it. I own a copy of it. Is it Hey, Now It's Christmas? Or hey, is it just Christmas. Hey, Now It's Christmas. That's right. So when he sent me the copy of Hey, Now It's Christmas and said, would you play this? And I'm thinking, when's the right time to play a song? Because we don't do that very often, unless it's on one of these. And... Um, there wouldn't be another one before Christmas. So I thought, well, let's hurry and throw together a Christmas themed episode. Uh, Cause Anthony's good to us and I want to support him. So you and I were going to do it. And I thought, well, I want, I'm not going to overthink this. I'll ask my buddy, Dave Carruth, who I've always wanted to bring on anyway. 
to uh, come on. He was happy to do that. It just so happened that the three of us are Mormon. And I thought, well, Ben Montgomery is also Mormon. And uh, let's not that any of us needed to talk about being Mormon. It just was we we're all kind of speaking the same language, coming from the same place. Let's do that. And uh, we did. And uh, it was just a quick, easy, fun thing with four guys that, you know, like each other. And we did it. And I'm glad we did. It was that was a lot of fun. It was. And I was glad you participated because you don't come on those very often. You know, you like to hang in the background. It was nice to have you on there to hear some of your picks and stuff. I'm glad yeah. you did that with us. Um, OK, after that was Tim Palmer and he was the last of the of the producers that we've had on. And uh, that one took a while. I had reached out to him, I think, a year or so before. And he said, yes, I'm really busy. I'll let you know when I'm not busy. I checked in on him a couple of more times. Not happening. And so uh, I kind of just went around him when Dave Newton of the Mighty Lemon Drops was releasing that new solo album. I wanted to get him on because I like them. I like the the Mighty Mighty Angels. I mentioned Tim Palmer on there and uh, not getting back to me. And Tim heard that and got back to me immediately, apologizing, <laughs> saying, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize you were going to call me out. Yes, let's do this. Oh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't purposely trying to call him out. I didn't know he would listen, but he did. And um, he uh, that was great, too. And again, another guy that's just right in our wheelhouse, you know, Tin Machine and Bowie and the Mission and all this stuff. And that uh, remission Tower of Strength 2020 charity single is so fantastic. I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just now. I can see my the hairs of my arm going up because that is so meaningful and impactful to this time in history. And I'm really glad that we got to talk to Tim Palmer because I love him a lot. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, just, you know, you and I getting to go and see the mission in Glasgow at the mm -hmm. Hydro. Yeah. That was awesome. That's still just one of the best weekends of my life, Yan. Thanks again for making that happen. I'm, yeah. I, I, I owe it all to you, and I'm so glad because that was one of the best times of my entire life. That was, I mean, that was so cool. If I know. And if I'd have known Fee was doing Ed, the liquid room, a couple of days before we'd have gone to that. I know. And, and got a chance to talk to him. Yeah. It was just the best. Hanging out in that pub with Graham Skinner of Hipsway and Andy Summers and his family, our listener. Uh -huh. And um, then going to that show and learning in line that the mission was going to be on the bill. And I'd never seen them and I love them. And spending time with your family and flying over and back and such a, it was just the best. So thanks again for that trip. Uh, one thing I want to mention real quick that's really interesting to me is that um, our producer episodes are often among our most popular. And whenever they come out, they immediately get a bunch of downloads. What's interesting is the Terry Manning one, the numbers dropped off fairly significantly. And I've never understood why, because his, that's one of the best episodes we did. And yet the numbers were lower. And they continued to be low with Tim. And so those episodes did not reach the same level of ones with like Nick Lane or uh, um, John, John Fryer did okay, but like uh, Youth and other people like that. Those ones did better. They have since caught up. And what's interesting is that both those got so many votes for best episode of the year. I just thought, where were the hundreds of people that didn't download it originally? I'm confused by that. And in truth, our download numbers have been way lower, like almost in half 
for about a month and a half now. Maybe that's the holidays. I always try, I always kind of put out ones that are, I don't know, a little more obscure or if I can't tie them to Christmas, which I did with Lee Nash and I love that one. Um, I just put out ones that are a little more obscure because I think people are busy doing other things in their life. And I like, so they'll find it when they find it, but I don't know. We're, uh, our uh, numbers are very small, and I was surprised that it started with Terry Manning and Tim Palmer because those episodes were so good. Andy Kiriakou of the of Modern Romance. I knew that that would be an uh, kind of an uh, obscure one. I don't know who knows Modern Romance. I didn't know them back in the day. You knew them, right, Yan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I remember seeing them on top of the pops. Okay. Um, you know that almost carnival like atmosphere they tried to, to uh-huh. go with that latin feel and the yeah. almost caribbean sort of like haircut 100 as i was saying yeah. that kind of feel i love that sound um but they didn't they never made a dent in the states and so um but i thought it would be really interesting to just hear from them and hear what their lives have been like and andy was a really interesting guy really sweet he's one of those people that's like let me know next time you're in town we'll go for a pint and I thought it was really interesting to hear his story, his take on his two daughters, one of which has is now a son, and the other he labeled as pansexual. Just the openness that uh, you know a parent has to come to terms with some of these things, and some of them do it well, and some of them don't. And he did it well, and I liked that he serves as an example of a parent who embraced their kids for who they were and rolled with it. You know, that's yeah. great. And I was glad that we got to kind of honor him in that way. Uh, he, he did a good job. Yeah. So and, any, I don't know and, if anyone... And again, going back to that Latin carnival sound, a lot of that stuff that they yeah. put out around the, the, the time of the best years of our lives. It's, some people might not like it, but it, it's good. Yeah. I like it too, and it, one of the things I really like about that kind of music is to me it sounds authentic. If it's somebody just playing those things on like a synthesizer or whatever, that's a little chintzy, but I felt like their hearts were in it. I felt like they were making some legitimately fun, vibrant, Latin-tinged music, and I and I appreciate that effort. So, yeah, I think they're special. I like them, especially their old stuff. Uh, real quick, Brewer, John Brewer, talking about Chuck Berry. Um so John came on to talk about the Mick Ronson documentary he made beside Bowie a few years ago, and that was a great conversation. And so when I was pitched him again, I thought, sure, I liked John before. I have a lot of feelings about Chuck Berry right, going on right now. I want to talk to him about it. When John was on the first time, he had mentioned the, his next movie that he was working on was a Chuck Berry doc. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, are we going to hear another like honorary Chuck Berry documentary about how great he was. Are we going to get in the weeds? Cause there's a lot of touchy, ugly skeletons in Chuck Berry's closet, the filming people going to the bathroom, which he says is to stop them from stealing. I don't know which side of that argument you're on. I will tell you I, when I first moved to the Bay area, I was working nights at a radio station, writing news copy for the DJ to read on air. And uh, in San Francisco and the DJ whose shift ended when mine began stuck around one night. We were just talking. He'd been, he's one of these lifers been in radio for years. And he was saying, we were talking about Chuck Berry one night. This was back in the early two thousands. 
and he was saying, well, you know, he, he, he gets off on watching women poop. That's his thing. And uh, I was like, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Everyone knows this. Everybody knows that. Now, I don't know if that's true or if that is a variation on the story that Chuck Berry filmed people, going, women going to the bathroom in his restaurant to cut down on stealing. I don't know. However you want to think about that. But I did kind of want to hold, I feel like there's a whole other documentary about Chuck Berry you could make about all the dark stuff as well as the honorary stuff. And John did a pretty good job of mixing those two. Um, I probably, I thought it was probably a little too honorary for my taste. I just feel like somebody needs to tell it like it is with Chuck Berry. But um, it was still a really well done movie. So, and John's a great guy and I'm glad he talked to us. And I got to say a huge thanks to our, our bestest buddy, Andy Shaw, because Andy sent me a care package a while ago of DVDs and books, one of which was Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. And it's the deluxe version. And I watched all, every second of all the bonus material to get ready to talk to John. And the, bon the making of the Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll documentary is far more interesting than the actual documentary because it touches on the struggles they had dealing with Chuck. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I thought he was that? good. Yeah. yeah. And he was, I think he was another one. He asked me, should, should I talk to John Brewer? I'm like, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I never know whether, you know, I, like I said, I don't always like to double up, but only if there's really good, unique stuff still left in the tank. And um, I thought this was, this was a good one. Let's talk to John. He was great the first time. I've got Chuck on my mind. Let's do it. Okay, Lee Nash from Sixpence None the Richer. That one I thought made sense as our Christmas episode. She was so great. Uh, she and I talked last April, I think it was. There was this period, I've mentioned it before, I started my new job at the beginning of May. And so I was trying to do as many interviews as I could uh, right before I, went, I started the new job because I wasn't going to be doing any for a little while. And she was one of them. And um, it was great. And I went to get it ready to put out and the file wouldn't open. It was corrupted. And uh, I'm like, oh no, this, I can't believe this happened. Well, thankfully I recorded it on Skype and Skype will hold on to your, the files for 30 days. I thought, okay, I'll just go back to Skype and download it again. Well, it had been 32 days since she and I talked. And so I could not download that file. And I always feel terrible when that that's only ever happened once a corrupt file has happened half a dozen times, maybe over all of this. And, um, I felt terrible because she and I had such a great conversation and, um, our other good friend, David Gutierrez, uh, he had two passionate requests. One was her and one was fastball. We got Joey from fastball on here in 2019. And he really was excited about Lee. Uh, I got to give another thanks to Ben Montgomery of Records Revisited Podcast because he put me in touch with Lee. She was on his show. And uh, when the file gets corrupted, it's so disheartening, you guys. And so I kind of let it sit for a few months and then I tried again. Thankfully, she was open to doing it again. We had just as fun a conversation the second time. And, and I thought, given her, she's, she's made Christmas music. She's a diehard Christian in such a wonderful way. She made sense as our Christmas guest. She it was just like a sweetheart. 
Yeah. I, you, um, I didn't think of this till just now, Yan. Given your proclivity for redheads, how big of a crush would you say you've had on Lee Nash? Oh, I, I, you know, for a while I got her mixed up with somebody else. So I oh, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even register. Uh, yeah, she's a cutie, and um, I was watching a lot of like old interviews and TV appearances and videos and stuff like that, and it just now occurred to me, she's got red hair. Yan loves redheads. I wonder if there's any history there. Okay, last one real quick. Cliff Magnus, great guy. Um, when our friend Jason Pollack sent me those mix CDs a year or two ago, and I heard Jenny's Still in Love, that song is just, it, it it's up there with just one of my favorites ever. And I thought I have to, I've always seen that name, Cliff Magnus. I don't know much about him. Let's see, I got to get to know this guy. And, uh, I did, and he's a very fun rabbit hole to fall into. I loved it. And a really super nice guy. I didn't know until getting ready to talk to him, and I'm watching other interviews, that the one, unfortunately, the one side of his face is, kind of, is drooping, and I didn't know why, and it was because of that facial nerve that had cancer in it that luckily got removed, and he's okay. He was just a real sweetheart of a guy, and he's another one that's like, look me up next time you're in town. We'll hang out. I really, really loved him. And I thought it was nice symmetry that we started the year with Charlie Midnight, fantastic songwriter, and then we ended it with Cliff, another fantastic songwriter. Yeah, and getting to work with Cheap Trick and Quincy and mm -hmm. all those, ah, oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that one too got some votes for the best of the year, which I was really glad about. Um, because it was, it came out over the holidays, I wasn't sure if people would notice or cared, but it got some votes and I'm really grateful for that. Okay. Should we count down our favorite episodes, Yan? Yeah. I, um, okay. Why don't you go first? I'll go second. And then we'll, I'll read off the, uh, the voter pick third. And I will say just for me personally, I separated bonus material from Tuesday episodes so I did not include any deep dives in my list, but you did and some of our listeners did too. Yeah. So if I were to say, I think my favorite deep dive of the year might have been Nick Van Eed from um, Cutting Crew. The reason being, I'm not, I like that album. I don't love it. The reason being, he's just so charming and came prepared um, the way, that, in a way that not everyone is prepared when we do these. And I really respected him for that. And he had great stories about all of the songs. And so that one may have been my most satisfying. That was that that one was the example of what I wish every deep dive could be. So I think that one might have been my favorite. Anyway, go ahead. What's your okay. number 10 favorite episode? Okay, so just before I go with my number 10, I'm going to uh, tell you what I had as honorable mentions. I, had, I really wanted to include these so I could have gone further and further, more than 10. But I, Terry Manning, he was just... He was fantastic. Andrew Farris, Chris Hayes, Lee Nash, and then Clive Langer, both his regular episode and the mm -hmm. deep dive. Those are my honorable mentions. But my number 10 was Tanya Donnelly from Belly. Nice. nice. Why, do you, why do you say that? another one. She was, her music was really good. And she just had this thing about her. You just like her. Yeah. Because she was such a nice, she comes across as such a nice person. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's so interesting. That one also got a lot of votes from the listeners. And 
I have always had really mixed feelings about that one because I worried that I, I've always liked a lot of her music, but never loved all of it. And I was afraid that I came off like a poser. I was afraid that I didn't give her the interview that she desired, deserved. And so I felt like I ruined it or I failed her in some way. But luckily our listeners don't feel that way and you don't feel that way. So it turned out great. And I worried that I didn't do a good enough job. Her album with the- She she came back and said that was one of the best she'd done. Exactly. And I, that shocked me. Um, I will say, and so anyway, I'm really grateful that that one turned out. And her album with the Parkington Sisters is one of my favorite albums of the year as well. It's just a really fantastic covers album, much like Juliana Hatfield's Olivia Newton-John and the Police albums. I just, she was great. And so I'm glad you picked that one. That one, uh, I wasn't sure how it would come across and people seem to like it. That makes me happy. Um, Okay, let me, I'll do number 10 of mine. I had the same problem you did. I mean, there's, there's maybe 10 episodes that came out this year that I'm less excited about and everything else I loved. I mean, we were, we were really on fire this year. I stand behind almost every episode we put out this year as having some nutritional value, you know? So that was really difficult. Not in, not having like a top 20, the honor, my honorable mention list included Danny Korchmar, Graham, maybe Peter Wolf, Chris Hayes, Charlie Midnight and Chris Thompson and Clive Langer. Those are the ones that nearly made it. And I, and I ended up cutting them out, not for any other reason other than there just weren't enough spots. I, uh, I think for number 10, I'm going to go with Terry Manning though, because uh, I just loved every story that he told. And it's been interesting. We're Facebook friends now. And he tells a lot of these stories and millions of others that we didn't even get to almost daily on, on Facebook as posts And every time he does, I just get green with jealousy. I think, bro, come back on. Let's talk about this stuff. You know, share it with me. Let me be the conduit to these great stories that you're telling. I, uh, I just thought he was special and I'm glad that we got him on here and, um, got to tell his story. So I'm going to go with Terry Manning. Actually, why don't you and I just count down our top 10 and then I'll do the listeners afterwards. Okay. So what's your number nine? My number nine is Chris Thompson. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think back to that episode and just hearing his experience about the the Freddie tribute concert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, (laughs) he got screwed. Yeah, Yeah. royally. Royally. Yep. He's behind the scenes putting most of that thing together and doesn't. He gets cut out. His thanks gets cut out of the film and doesn't get the credit he deserves. I love that one too. As I said, it was one of my um, honorable mentions. I just had no idea. Like I said, when I looked him up, I thought of him mostly as the revved up like a douche guy. And I thought, uh-huh. let's hear what the story of the guy who's behind the most misheard lyric of all time. Let's find out what his story is. And there was so much more to be had from him than I yeah. would have ever imagined. And I loved it. My kids kind of hate him because he sent me a care package of CDs. And I have a ruling, it's a rule, it's, I'm a little OCD about CDs. I have to listen to them twice, all the way through in my car before I take them out and put them on my CD shelves. And he sent me so many that we, my kids have listened, had to listen to every Chris Thompson CD multiple, multiple times. They know his voice, they are so over it 
because he was in my car for months after this, you know? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I, uh, yes, he was just, he was great. So much more to be had there than we knew, you know? Yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it. He was just great. Yeah. And I think uh, David Wilde, when he came on, he mentioned that was one of his favorite episodes too, which means a lot to me. Um, I just have so much respect for David Wilde. Uh, number nine for me, I think I'm going to go with Andy Richards, um, who I understand was not one of the bigger names that we've had on the show, but he's behind so much great music. A lot of it is Trevor Horn, you know, working at Sarm Studios, being one of Trevor's go-to uh, keyboard guys on a lot of the music that he's made. But the insights that Andy was just telling it like it is, and those are the kinds of guests that I love that don't hold back. And to hear things like, yeah, no one from Frankie and goes to Hollywood was in the room when we were making the, that album, you know, that is like the confirmation that we've been looking for or like, yeah, Andrew Ridgely was nowhere to be found when we were making, when I was in the room making careless whisper, which doesn't surprise me, but, and that's not a knock on any of those people, but just that's the, that's the behind the scenes truth that you don't get elsewhere and I love that he was saying it straight up. We did have to cut out some of the mean things he said about uh, the lady in red guy, Chris. The Berg. The Berg, yes. Which I've heard. None of it shocked me. I've heard that Chris the Berg is not the greatest guy in the world. But anyway, I just love that uh, Andy was telling it like it is. Those are my favorite kind of guests. So I got to go with him at number nine. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so my my number eight is Mickey Curry. Yeah, and why? So, I you listen to the stuff he's done, and he just has this thing about his offbeat drumming is just fantastic, mm -hmm. and he got to his story about the the song from Working Girl. Mm. <laughs> That's right, "Let the River Run" by Carly Simon. Run by Carly, which <laughs> happens to be. I like that much better than anything else she's done. Me too. And, uh, you know, just his just his story about the video for that. And you go see the video for that, and there he is right there on the back <laughs> of the boat, freezing his backside off. <laughs> it's great. It's yeah, great. It was superb. Yeah. He was so much fun. And. Couldn't you tell, like with him and so many of these session guys, like I've mentioned before, a lot of it just comes down to who do people want to hang out with? I can yeah. hang out with Mickey Curry, who's fun, or I can call the other guy that's always prickly and brings a lot of drama. Even if he's a good drummer, I'd rather hang out with Mickey because he's fun. And you get, when you listen to Mickey and get a feel of his personality, it's no wonder that a guy like that was getting called all the time because he was just a blast. Yep. He was a good hang, you know? Yeah, and then you got other other folks that we had on during the year. They might have got called because they had the best weed. <laughs> Russ Kunkel being yeah. one of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So there's all kinds of reasons. I'm with you on that. I loved Mickey Curry, too. I, I can't, it's so hard. I stand by just about every episode we put out this year. Um, I think for number eight, I'm going to go with youth. Uh, the reason being I... 
So I've mentioned this before. Most of the time when I try to figure out my top episodes of the year, I try to think very generally. Like what I pick an episode that it would be of general interest to people who don't even know who this person is, but would find our conversation interesting anyway. And um, this year I kind of strayed from that because I just went with the ones that meant a lot to me personally. It meant a lot to me to have this person that I've always loved on our show. And youth was like that. Not that he didn't tell great stories. He did a lot. Of, he got a lot of votes too from our listeners, but um, he's just behind so much music that has changed the course of my life that it was, I was honored to talk to him and the spliffs and the cat made it even more entertaining than I thought it would. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going with youth for my number eight. Okay, cool. Yeah. So for my number seven, I went with Shelley Piker. Mm. That uh, she was, she was a lot of fun. I mean, that's not my style of music. I don't right. listen to much of that style of music. But you, you look at how many people coming out of the, the same stable as the likes of Christina Aguilera and all those kind of great female artists of the last. Yeah. 15 years or so mm-hmm. and she's written stuff for them and then that story about her her sitting writing the you know her daughter comes in from school and there's <laughs> Miley Cyrus right and she's a big Hannah Monta- the daughter's a big yeah. Hannah Monta- Montana fan yeah I can imagine you know for, for me for me as a parent I can imagine if that was me mm-hmm. and my son comes in and I'm working with somebody like somebody from the runaways or mm-hmm. Stu Cook from CCR and my yeah. son walks in you be like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that you told that because that that was a that was such a sweet story and she's another one where I felt like I let her down in some ways because I wasn't giving her enough credit because as you said it's not really my kind of music either there's tons of songs that she's worked on that I respect and I like once I got to know them, but it's not music I go to very often, but she was, so I wasn't sure that I could fully honor her the way that she deserved it. I tried my best. And when she sent me her book later, her book is so much fun. I should send it to you. Yeah. And actually, I think you would like it. Her book is so much fun that it just really solidified and helped me see who she truly is as an artist. And I just liked her so much. Um, and I know that that's, she's different than most of the people we have on our show, but um, her story is just as valid and just as wonderful as a lot of the other people. So I'm glad, I'm glad you picked that one. I liked it too. And then you got those songs the by Mer- Meredith, just, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. I know. Awesome. I've been trying to get Meredith on here for years and uh, she's very hard to find. Shelly thankfully gave me her publicist's email and I've emailed a couple times and never heard back. I know Meredith is a big Trump person, so I'm less excited about that now than I would have been before, but um, still I'd love to hear Meredith's story. So we'll, I'll keep trying for that one. Uh, my number seven is I think Jay Graydon, just because he is, he's another one that's just so entertaining, constant entertaining. His, his uh, excitement level, you know, he just is another that tells it like it is. It's so interesting talking to him from like 1.30 a.m. till 4 a.m. And um, 
the stories just keep coming. The Ray Parker Jr. stuff, Lucather, David Foster, Al Jarreau, all the things that he's worked on and worked with. His personality is just so unique and infectious. And um, I love the way he talks. I love that he always, you know, everything's a tune. It's not a song. It's a tune. Yeah, I think I worked on that tune or we did. We had some good tunes. He's obsessed with perfect pitch, which is weird. He's just a unique, unique personality. And I loved having him on. Hopefully he's trying to put me in contact with Michael or Omardian. It hasn't happened yet. I hope it does. But anyway, Jay's great. I'm really good. And both times I interviewed him, in case you missed this the first time I mentioned it, he was on the crapper both times I uh, we interviewed him at the scheduled time. And he told me to give him 20 minutes to finish. So I did. <laughs> and uh, just no, but that's never happened. It's never happened once, let alone twice from the same guy. So anyway, Jay was a classic. That's hilarious. Yeah, I still find that hilarious. Me too. <laughs> Me, too. Yeah. Me too. All right, number six. Number six, I went with the Jeff Healy episode. The, some of the things that came out of that were just mind blowing, especially mm-hmm. the his his record system and you know, his violence filing system for his his records and knowing where everything went, and just the story about when his kid. Spread them all over the base. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. I, that <laughs> just that had me oh, well, <laughs> stitches a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I love that one too, and um, I'm so glad it happened. I think I think I told the story on the retro we did at the time, but I'll say it again. I thought years ago that it would be really interesting to hear from one of the other guys of the Jeff Healy band. And I contacted them through the website and I heard back from Roger and Roger's like, just so you know, those guys are caught up in legal problems. They hate each other. There's so much drama. I don't think you're going to get to talk to either one of them, but I would talk to you. And, um, I thought, well, that's nice, but I'd rather talk to one of the guys, you know? So I said, well, I'll let you know. And so I, I waited like two and a half years to get back to him thinking that maybe with the, I forget the Tom and I forget the other two guys' names thinking that maybe that would have straightened itself out. So I go back to Roger two and a half years later and say, Hey, any, you know, any movement on this? And he's like, no, I, like I said before, they'll never talk to you, but I could talk to you. And, uh, Christy, his widow could talk to you. And I thought, well, now we're talking. So if that's it more interesting to me, Because if you could do interviews with people who know someone famous, you could talk to anybody all the time. But it really, I want these to be special and unique. And having the both of them on there, his, her, his, Jeff's widow and his best friend, both of whom manage the estate now, that's saying something. And so I was really glad with how, and you're right, every story about the organization of all of his, of his huge record collection, all that stuff was just so good. And um, and I'm glad we got to pay tribute to Jeff in that way, you know. Yeah, and I think I said that before, you know, the, on the last recap. You and I think we we like we have plenty of music. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that's true. I don't own thirty thousand CDs or records. That's for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, number six. I'm gonna go with Holly Knight. I just thought that one was. Fantastic. I had been trying to get Holly for a while. I never heard back. And then 
she started using a publicist and that publicist is more active. Sometimes publicists are great. Sometimes they're in the way, but in this case it worked. And, um, I was so glad, I think I was trying really hard to have a different conversation with Holly than she might've had a million other times. I think we got there. There's, we still need to do a part two, um, cause we didn't even get to heart and lots of other things. That one's a little bittersweet for me because it's the last time I really interacted with Paul Underwood, our my old good friend who produced some of our episodes. Um, I think I mentioned this before. I Paul and I, I think Paul has fallen deep into the, you know, coronavirus is a hoax. The election was rigged. It's all, you know, the deep state, the all that stuff that Fox News just spews all the time. I think he's fallen deep, deep into a lot of that stuff. And it's uh, it's affected our friendship. We've never had a falling out. We just, uh, I just stopped hearing from him. Until recently, actually, he posted, he rarely, he doesn't rarely does his Glory Days radio anymore. And he doesn't post on Facebook very often. He probably moved to Parlor, which is gone now too. And he posted something about comparing coronavirus to the flu and um all of his you know texas friends are like yeah it's such a hoax and oh look at that flu numbers are down i wonder why or whatever it is and i commented on there finally i've been leaving him alone completely but i commented like just so you guys know my dad's dying of covid in the hospital right now so i'm glad you all think this is so funny and paul texted me afterwards and said you know i'm really sorry i had no idea i didn't you know, this thing is really affecting me, but that's just business. This is your dad. I, I deleted my post. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. And, and I replied and was like, you know, I've got a lot that I'd love to say to you after these last few months, because, uh, but I probably shouldn't. But one of, one of them is I, I'm really worried about how far off the deep end you've fallen. And number two, I really miss my old friend. And then I also said, and I think it would have taken bigger balls for you to leave that post up there for you and all your friends to see what COVID reality is because now it's gone and you can just stay in your bubble and think that it's a hoax. It's definitely not a hoax. So anyway, it's sad. I love the Holly night episode. That was the last thing Paul did for us just to give you a little peek behind the curtain. All right. Number five for you. Number five for me is my old son. Yeah. That's definitely one of the, one of the favorite episodes of the year. Mm-hmm. He was just fantastic, and he was he was so he was into it, and mm-hmm. he got behind it. And I'm looking yeah. forward to having him back on a deep dive at some point. Me hopefully. too. Yeah, he's my number four. Um, that one, I I have all the same feelings you did. I he had such a reputation back when they were popular of being so prickly and. Um, belligerent and um, sort of mean-spirited that I was just sure he was going to rip my head off. And it was the complete opposite. He was so nice and genuine and gentlemanly. I had no idea how, first of all, that that's how that would go and what a deep, huge, devoted fan base he and that band still have. And so um, after the interview was over, I didn't, know this, but he posted something, I think on Facebook or Twitter or something saying, I just did a great interview that I cannot wait for all of you to hear or something like that. And it got all, you know, I, all of these comments and all these likes and you're just like, wow, I had no idea. 
And so I sort of rushed that one to be released. And um, sure enough, it took off. It's one of our biggest, I think it was our second or third biggest episode of last year. Second, probably. And um, uh, I loved it, too. He, he totally took me by surprise. And we really hit it off. And he's a real sweet guy. And yeah, I'm going to get back in touch with him. And we can deep dive the Never Loved Elvis album or something. Because I thought he was great. Um, so yeah, that's my number four. I'll just quickly do my number five. It was Andrew Ferris from Inter In Excess. And that one didn't get as many votes from our listeners as I thought it would. I think the I don't know what people's feeling or relationship with In Excess is. The first half the first half hour of that interview was fine. It was him talking about his transition to country music, which is interesting. That's obviously not what I want to talk about. But then when I'm able to go just let my full fanboy passion all out, lay it all out there and him feel it and respect it and, and respond to it meant a lot to me personally. And so I was able ultimately to have close to the kind of in excess conversation I would have always dreamt of having. And that was pretty huge for me. So I think Andrew Ferris is going to be my number five. Miles is my number four. What's your number? Uh, what's your number four? We're on your number four now. My number four is Julian Mandelson. Yeah. And my number four is Julian Mendelssohn because he's worked on a bunch of stuff that I really liked, mm -hmm. uh, especially the Tasman Archer. He worked on the Tasman Archer album. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. And, and uh, also I got to interact with him a little bit on that too. Mm -hmm. So, and, yeah. you know, back and forth. You know, sorting out the things that he wanted adjusted, and, and you just, he just seems like a really great guy. Yeah, he was. He, I feel that way too. I don't think I mentioned him as an honor. I think I forgot to mention him as an honorable mention. He was, that was one of my favorite episodes of the year too. Just so many good ones happened as well. I loved him. Um, he was such a nice man. He's helped us get other guests. Um, I talked to him about doing a deep dive of something. You know, he worked on those Tears for Fears albums, and I thought maybe he said, you know, honestly, if I were to do something like that and talk track by track, the best bet would probably be either Pet Shop Boys or Duran or uh, Depeche Mode's Music for the Masses. And so that's probably what I'll do is reach out to him and do a deep dive on that. I've been a little burnt out from deep dives lately just because I was going full speed on so many things for so long that everything going on in my life, too, I've just been sort of not the mood for the last couple of months, but I'll get back into it soon. Um, okay, let me see. So we've swapped around. Okay, so number three for me is Nick Lane for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. Just talking to him and realizing, first, we're not going to get to every artist I wanted, but we're going to go deep on the artists that we do, and we're going to hear stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Told from a master storyteller that is literally making you feel like you're in the room with Johnny Rotten or, um, you know, Nick Cave or whoever, the church, anyone else, you know, that doesn't happen very often. And I, that was miraculous to me. That was an amazing feeling. Like, um, just listening to him tell these stories. I loved it. Oh, that was so good. And when, yeah. you know, when he, he locked the people out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh that was so good so good all right number three for you number three for me is Susie Quattro Ooh, why 
because she's uh you know she's an artist i remember from my youth seeing her on the tv here and she has you know she's a pioneer she belongs in the rock hall yeah i agree i agree it, it was just there was some there's some great music in there and you know if pe- if people haven't heard that episode you've got to go listen to it she just has some fantastic music and the you know the that interaction between her and her, her family oh. is interesting so interesting i can't remember i did you ever watch the documentary not yet no okay the documentary is is honestly one of the best rock docs you'll ever see because it covers all of this stuff in such a way that is so provocative and it tells just the story she deserves to be told. I only had her for like 40 minutes, but I was, so I tried to entice people to check out the movie, but not give away everything that's good about it. And um, I really loved her too. That one got some votes too from our listeners. I'm glad you like that one so much. I think she's special and you're right. Pioneer is the word. She doesn't get the credit she deserves. Okay, number two for me, could the, my one and two could be flip-flopped. I'm going to go with this one for number two. Jerry Murata, the drummer, um, is my number two. For most of the same reasons that I picked Nick Lane as well. Just the unfiltered story after story after story from a guy who has seen and done it all is so much fun. And he his just personality, that kind of scruffy you know, his nose is running and he's coughing and he's yawning and he's sniffling and all this kind of stuff. Just that shaggy dog quality that Jerry has. And hearing stories like watching Spinal Tap in the room with Paul and Linda McCartney and watching scenes that are satirical scenes based on stories that happened to Paul and Linda that are sitting right there in the room. And Jerry's the one who recommended this movie to them. I just, imagining that was blowing my mind. I uh, I loved that conversation. And it, it just showed, it was what I hope this podcast can be every single time out. I love the Jerry Murata episode. Yeah, it was, oh, that was great. Yeah. And uh, he worked for uh, Peter Gabriel too. Yes, lots oh, yeah. of great Peter Gabriel stuff in there too. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. My number. My number two is a. You know, I did include some deep dives, and my number two is uh, our Fee Waybill deep dive. Mm-hmm. Fee is one of my favorite guests we've had on the show ever. Me too. Uh, I love the stories in that one from the, the completion backward principle. It's just amazing, and that new album. Mm-hmm. I actually went out after, right after that, and bought his. Good. Right after that, but I bought his solo album. Off it's the back so of good. That. It is so good. Yeah. I think I forgot to list it on my favorite of the year. But yeah, Fee Weibo rides again is so good. I loved it. Especially that one where he's working with Richard Mark, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. just happens to be one of his best friends. Yeah. It just that is. The intro to that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I love that one too. I um, I was going to, I was thinking about incl- uh, that's one of my favorite deep dives for sure, and that was a very popular episode among our listeners. Our f- initial interview with Fee is so 
up there as like one of our very best episodes ever that this one didn't feel like we got full fee like we did the full time the first time but it's still great fee there's just no one like fee his personality is unlike anyone else's and i love it um so yeah i'm glad you picked that one okay my i think my favorite episode of the year my number one i'm going with chris hughes and the reason i'm picking that one is for personal re- like i said some of these i Jerry Murad and Nick Lane, I think you're going to love them whether you care about the music or not. Chris Hughes is a selfish pick because he's one of my favorite. He's my number four favorite producer of all time. I got to ask him about so much music that I've always wanted to know about. He was so generous and so gentlemanly. And after having Marco Peroni on here from Adam and the Ants, giving the impression, I thought that Chris was a little kind of, I don't know, scatterbrained or noncommittal or... Um, you know, not invested or something like that. I went in concerned about how this was going to go. And I think, I think it was Dave Bascom, prior guest, Dave Bascom, another great episode that put me in touch with Chris and Chris could not have been more engaging. And I just loved him for it. So much so that we did it in two pieces, which he was at first, he's like, I don't know if I, I may have 45 minutes. And luckily, I think I won him over and he gave me more time and two interviews. And the second one happened right after Rupert Hine died. He knew and I didn't. And um, yeah, that one of all the episodes we've done this year, I think that one just means the most to me because he means the most to me. I love him. So. Oh, that was a that was a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And he's worked on so much good stuff that we've that we've you know, people that we've had on here. He's he's worked on. Yep. Agreed. So, okay. okay, what's your number one? Here it my is, num- drum roll. My number one is Victor DiLorenzo from Violent Femmes. I love that you picked this. Love it. Yep. And that one was a masterpiece of saving. It was. It was. It was, it was I have to say, actually, no, yeah, it is. It's definitely one in terms of the the, the audio quality. You know, the, the pits and all things cutting out. It's got to be one of the worst we've had. Yeah. And yeah. if you listen back to it, you wouldn't know. No, not at all. You, that is your masterpiece of production, Yan. It's, uh, again, I think we talked about this in the recap episode, but I don't know what was wrong, but on two consecutive Fridays back in March or April before when I was trying to squeeze in all those interviews before I went back to work. Um, I don't know why, but Skype was having huge problems. So if you imagine about every two minutes, the sound going out for about 30 seconds at a time and that happening consistently for an hour, not to mention some of the times when the sound would go out, it was like it would start picking up other frequencies and you would hear snippets of other people's conversations happening for some reason. And that is the file that you had to work with. And you made it seamless and perfect. It's a miracle that you did this. Well, I, I think some of the stuff I got in there, it seemed like there was somebody speaking one of the two Chinese variants. <laughs> what, what's this? <laughs> I know. I know that's what I mean. It was just picking up other wavelengths, other conversations. It was so weird. And the other one that's just like that, that episode is coming out in a week or two. So you get to do this all over again. Yeah. And it's going to be fun for you. Um, I've been hanging on to that one for almost a year because 
it was so, these were so messed up and I want to give you lots of leeway to work on them. But anyway, Paul, I'm glad you picked that one. Paul, if you're listening, that what that one's for you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Our Paul Underwood picked the one that's coming out in a couple of weeks. So, um, anyway, yes. Thank you for saving that one. I was so glad and honored that we got to have a member of violent femmes on here. Um, I recognize that some people might think that the guy who left violent femmes is not the most interesting guy in the band, but to me, that's the guy you want to talk to because the other guys still, they're still invested. So they're not going to tell you the truth about a lot of things They They got to keep up the facade because they're still furthering the cause. The guy who leaves and will tell you about why that guy has a more interesting story to tell. And that's why I thought talking to Victor would be interesting. So I'm glad you picked that one too. I love that episode. Mostly because of you. You, sa uh, you saved it. It is what it is because of you. Okay, I'm going to real quick uh, count down some of the, the our listener top 10. Uh, Fee Waybill's deep dive was at or near the top on their list. I'm separating it just because it was a deep dive. So by far, the most popular or favorite deep dive of the year was that one. The second most popular would have been Bob Rock doing The Cult, which makes perfect sense. That was another great one as well. Uh, the number 10 episode from our listeners was Chris Hayes of Huey Lewis in the News. That was one of the best episodes ever as well. It just, there were so many others that got kind of bumped, but um, I loved it. He doesn't talk much. He's not in the band. Talk about people who aren't in the band and why. Um, hearing that story was wonderful, and he was so nice. His sister, Bonnie, the following week was just as good. I loved her. Uh, number nine was Graham Maybe of, the, of Joe Jackson's band. Uh, as I'm really proud of that one too. I loved it. Again, for whatever reason, the three guitarist episode has more downloads than Graham. I don't understand why that worked that way, but it does, but whatever. Graham maybe is a great episode. And I really like that one in terms of Gary Sanford. Yes. When, when he didn't want it to come out and then he mm -hmm. listens back to it and he's like, Oh, that was actually quite good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was worried about that one too. That's another one that is falls completely on your production of making that one special, Yan, because I was worried about that one. I didn't know that it was, I was worried there was too much, there wasn't enough like meat on that bone to, to really make it interesting for people, but you formed it and produced it and trimmed it in such a way that it was fantastic. That one is all you as well. Um, okay, number eight. Jerry Murata, he was also very popular among our listeners. Number seven was Youth, also very popular among our listeners. I get it. Uh, Miles Hunt was number six. Number five was Nick Lane. And um, number four was Chris Hughes. Number three was Holly Knight, understandably. Number two was Terry Manning. Now, let me explain it before I tell you what number one was. Let me explain the, the, how I came up with the scoring on this was really tough because some people would send like their top 10. So obviously whatever came in first should be weighted more than whatever came in 10th. Some people just said what their favorite episode of the year was. So do you give that the same amount of points as the guy who gave you the full list? And if someone gave you a list and said that it didn't rank them, but said in no particular order, these are my favorite five episodes of the year. How do you weigh those as well? So like, for instance, does the guy 
does something getting six votes as the best episode of the year distinctively, should that be weighed more than another episode that showed up on 10 people's top 10 of the year list, not defined as being number one? You know what I mean? So it was, it was really difficult. I'm just sort of trying to figure this out based on the way you guys sent in your votes and everything, what I think you're trying to say with these things. So I could be wrong about, and I meant to write down how many votes things got. I was weighing like the immediate, like a lot of people voted for the immediate family guys and just saying that whole series was among my favorites, which it was among my favorites too, all five of those guys, but you didn't differentiate. So do you give each guy one point? Do you give them all five points? What do you do? You know? So anyway, I'm trying to figure this out, but Terry Manning was number two and number one was Jake Graydon. And, um, I just, I think that's great. I love that so many of the things you guys picked are the same things that meant a lot to me and Yan. And, uh, I'm glad that that was the case. Uh, so let's see some questions here. There weren't a bunch, but I'll throw in a few. Um, I'm going to organize some of our questions, many of which there's maybe five or six, a bunch of them came from one of our listeners, Brian Morris. He's devout. We're so grateful for Brian. He's the one who put us in touch with Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction, by the way. Uh, so huge thanks to Brian. Brian asks, which favorite artists have we yet to see in concert? And while I organize some of the other questions, why don't you answer that one, Yan? Okay, so me, for me, and it won't ever happen now, but Bob Seger. And I had one shot at it back in around... 2012 at the Sprint Center in in Kansas City, Missouri. But uh, the cheapest tickets at the time were around a hundred bucks, and if you wanted, you know, in the area near the front of the stage, I think the cheapest ticket was eight hundred bucks. Mm. And I was a newly divorced dad. I couldn't afford a hundred bucks for a concert ticket. And at the time, he wasn't playing like a rock on the set list anyway, mm. at, uh, because he didn't have a guitarist that could do it exactly the same way as as uh, Rick Vito did in mm. the on the in original. The yeah, yeah. And so get that I wasn't going to pay a hundred bucks that I couldn't afford mm-hmm. to to go see a concert. I, I, so I I missed my shot. Yeah, so that's def, that was top of my bucket list for a while yeah yeah um one of i I have a bob seeger story i um i think i may have told this before i can't remember he came through town in denver a couple of years ago and i was looking for tickets on craigslist and i found a guy selling one it was clearly a scalper or a you know second um second line whatever those are called reseller and um I gave the guy the money and he never gave me the ticket. And uh, it it turned out it was a total scam and I fell for it. And what's lame is that I deal with scalpers all the time and I know better. But because I deal with them all the time, I usually trust them because I've been through this a million times and no one's ever screwed me over. These people screwed me over. They had copied the logo and the wording and stuff of of a reputable reseller put it on their Craigslist post claiming they were part of that. I gave them the money. I never got the ticket, never heard back. And I was out 150 bucks and uh, I'm still angry about it. 
Um, as far as who I haven't seen con in concert, there's a few, but one of the big ones, which uh, added to 2020 sucking, is that the Doobie Brothers were finally, I've never seen the Doobie Brothers. Everyone knows I love them. Uh, one of the reasons I've never seen them is because I want to see them with Michael McDonald. I want to see the whole family. And they were finally getting back together for their 50th anniversary in 2020 and touring that way. And believe me, that's where all my money was going to go. And then that obviously had to be canceled. And so that is the one of the shows that I am most anxious for is eventually seeing the version of the Doobie Brothers that I've been holding out for all this time. By the way, since we've been recording, <laughs> a couple more people have voted on their best of. It's too late. But Phil Hopwood says, top three, Tim Palmer, Bruce Woolley, Holly Knight. And I love that somebody said Bruce Woolley. In fact, he picked Bruce number one. And I'm glad because I loved that Bruce Woolley conversation. And it doesn't get brought up enough, but I loved it. So good one. Um, thank you, Phil. Okay, so Brian sent a few other questions I'm going to throw out here real quick. Um, what is your routine to prepare for an interview? So it changes. Um, I'm, I, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant if I do. Most of the people I reach out to, I already kind of know a lot of like. There's people like, or I know a lot about. There's people like Shelly Pikin where I don't know that much about them. But most of the people I do. And so that's why I've reached out to them. I love them and I know them. So I just have to kind of tap into my own curiosity, really, and try to think about what I'm imagining they've been asked a million times. And can I put a spin on that? I go to Wikipedia, obviously, as just to sort of create a, bent, a base, but not rely on too heavily. Um, I do do research on a lot of people, but some people I don't because if there's, and I, this is the example I always use when we had Clark Dashler on here from Johnny Hates Jazz, I've never known for sure why he left Johnny Hates Jazz. And I'm sure that that's been asked a billion times and the answers are out there. But if I look ahead of time and find the answer, then I've lost the thing that I want to talk about the most. And so there's a fine line between how much research you do, because if you answer all your questions with your research, you're out of things to talk about. But you also don't want to ask things that are stupid or uninformed and that you know they've been asked a billion times unless you can put a positive spin on it. So that's what I, um, the people I know the most, I love the most, I do the least amount of research for because I already know a ton about them. Is the people I don't know very well where I, you should see my notes that's densely written down on a page because I just, I'm trying to find my way into somebody I don't know very well. Um, when he didn't ask this, but how do you prepare to do, to produce an episode, Yan? Mm -hmm. uh, so basically I, I go grab, go grab anything that you've sent me. And then uh, usually I'll take a, a your uh, curb sheet for the, for the cues. Mm -hmm. And I'll have a quick, I'll have a quick listen through and then. I'll start, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I want, if I agree with all those cut points mm -hmm. and then, then when I'm ready to go, I'll just get right into it and get at it. Mm -hmm. um, you've gotten so, you've always been good, but I've noticed an extra, you've even become better over the last probably year and a half. I don't know if you've always listened to an episode I always send you the cues thinking all you got to do is just go to this point and plug the song in and you're good. But I notice the 
attention you pay to when you listen, what are you hearing? Oh, there's an um there. There's a cough there. There's a long pause there that doesn't need to be there. Oh, the guy went to the bathroom or he's answering the door. I used to have to kind of tell you where all those points were just out of to be nice. And now I don't have to anymore because I know you're going to listen to it first and you're going to intuit what all those spots are. I don't I don't even need to, you know. So it's uh, we've. I feel like the last year or two, we've found this really great chemistry in putting these things together, where it's a lot of it's unspoken now. Don't yeah. you find that? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of the time, you you might have said, "Oh, cut there, put this this song here." And mm. then as I listen to it, I think, "Oh no, no, no." He talks about it there. This really fits better there, and yeah. I'll adjust it. Yeah, and I love that you do that. Your I love when you bring your own editorializing to this because it just makes it that much better. You know, I, I love that you do that. It always works out better. It always makes things better. Which artists do many people dislike yet you love? <laughs> Apparently new romantics. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, apparently it's people like modern romance and uh, you know, that kind of eighties, Curiosity Killed the Cat and uh, Simply Red and that sort of 80s, I don't know, new romantic stuff, Blitz Club stuff, 80s, uh, British Blue-Eyed Soul kind of stuff, the Danny Wilsons. The I love all that British music. So I just like to put it out there and I don't care if people don't like it. I assume you skip them. It's funny. I always think about our buddy Brad Page because he hates 80s music so much. And every time I put out an episode with someone like modern romance i'm just imagining i'm i'm hearing myself saying how much i love these guys and brad just shaking his head like are you kidding me this is terrible you know it's just everybody comes at things differently what do who do you love that other people dislike yeah i'm sure there's a quite a, a sizable chunk of our our listener base probably don't care for celine dion but i love her music mm -hmm. there you go good answer yeah yeah and she I, can sure I, sing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I got to see a video of her sing, uh, duetting with uh, John Farnham. Oh, nice. Nice. The two of them singing You're the Voice to get together. Uh, yes. Yep. And also John Farnham singing it together with uh, Coldplay. Mm. They did a fantastic video. It's out there on YouTube. And the, the crowd... Are just you look at the you look through the crowd and you think most of these folks weren't alive when John originally <laughs> recorded this, or they were just young, really young, yeah. and yet yeah. they are just the crowd just belting it out. Yeah, he's on my list of people. I have not reached out to him yet because I need to go deep on his full solo outing uh, output, and I haven't done it yet. But yeah, he's another one I got to get on there. Chris Thompson, former guest, co-wrote that song. Yeah. Um, which artists do many people love, yet you don't? I'm pretty outspoken about stuff like this. I used to like Wilco a lot when they first came out, and now I'm bored to tears of them. I don't like Matchbox 20 at all. I don't like Smashing Pumpkins. I, I'm a real, I have a real sensitivity to people with kind of odd voices. And if their voices are too, a voice that's too much can ruin good music for me. And I, I was getting into this debate on, Twitter recently about Tom Petty. 
I like Tom Petty a lot, but I mostly like the hits. I don't feel motivated. In fact, the question was, who do you like better, Bob Seger or Tom Petty? And I picked Bob and I took a lot of heat for it. I like Tom fine, but I'm mostly a greatest hits guy when it comes to Tom because his voice, as great as it might be, and his lyrics, as great as they might be, just aren't my bag completely. Whereas Bob, Bob, I want to invest in all of his albums. But Tom is more of a greatest hits guy for me. Then there's newer bands like The National. That guy's voice drives me nuts. So yeah, there's stuff like that. What about you, Yan? Oh, good question. I, I actually tend to be open to listening to just about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why this why this works so good for me. I agree. I, there's very, I mean, there's very little I, I won't listen to. Yeah, I, you know, the, some of the some of the rap music I don't like. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, but other than that. Yeah. I know that's why I love doing this with you because you're down for just about anything. And um I I think you and I both are pretty open to most music, you know. There's not a lot out there. I mean, we'll give almost anything a chance, you know. So, yeah, that's why I like doing this with you. What are your five Desert Island albums? Mm. Yeah, let's see. Okay. Uh, I know what some of mine are, so I'll say and you can think about yours. Uh, I used to have a list and now I think it's more just, I don't know if it's quite organized that strongly, but some of them, my favorite album ever is the first credit house album. Other ones that I would love to take with me would be yes. 90125. The first seal album is a favorite of mine. Curiosity killed the cats. First album, keep your distance. Bruce Hornsby in the range. First album, the way it is Robbie Robertson's first uh, debut solo album self-titled is an all-time favorite of mine yeah these are some of the ones that are coming to me off the top of my head jethro toll's songs from the wood marvin gay what's going on earth wind and fire faces the first three tears for fears albums all three of them are uh it's probably big chair more than the others i guess but those are up there as well it's there's a lot of them what about you well so i've got i've got a few that i would a few that would take big country mm, yeah i'm debating on which which ones I, which ones i would want but definitely the crossing had would have to be there interesting um, i prefer steel town the second album uh-huh. but most people go to the crossing and i like the crossing a lot but i like steel town even more so but that's not that's kind of a less popular view anyway continue of course i love big country too yeah, and then uh, I would have to have "Dust" by uh, the Screaming Trees. That would be mm-hmm. a, that would be one of mine. Uh, I think it's a toss-up between uh, the the Tubes self-titled, the 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 Tubes that has uh, White Punks on Dope on it, or <laughs> the the one that. Uh, that fee came on to do completion, completion backwards. backward principle. I love that one too. And one of those two would have to go for for definite. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Thorns, huh? The thorns. Yeah, that would have to be on there. And then also, um, Alison Krauss. Actually, I don't think she'd make it on the uh, desert island. I. I think Alice Alice Cooper's uh, mm. album with schools out on it. Either that or 
or billion dollar babies with ex- elected. Mm-hmm. Good one. Good one. Oh, I love it. Good picks, man. Okay, let me see. Uh, also from Brian, wondering if any of these artists are close to being on the hustle. Aha, ABC, Alphaville. He must have just started from the A's in his uh, iTunes or something. Alphaville, I've never tried. I should. You're right. That's a good one. Aha is at or near the top of my wish list. I have never been able to get in touch with them. I don't know how. If an artist doesn't have a contact button on their website, um, I don't really know what to do. I've tried them on Facebook. I tweeted at them a couple of times and didn't hear back. I am uh, most interested in talking with Morton, even though he doesn't write the songs. And that's probably my own unfair bias. I would probably talk to any of them, but I love AHA. And uh, yeah, I would love to have them on. And I think I would give them a good interview that they deserve. And it's never happened because I don't know how to find them. ABC, similarly, um, David Palmer, who was their original drummer and now drums for uh, Rod Stewart, he's agreed to come on a couple of times. And then when I follow up, he doesn't reply. Um, Martin Fry, I've reached out to a few times and never heard back. Mark White, who is Martin's partner and who, if you remember from the Bands Reunited episode, is sort of an anomaly, just very uh, underground. He and I actually connected on Facebook and he said he would come on and then he completely disappeared, which doesn't surprise me. So yeah, those are, ABC and AHA especially are ones that it's like, why hasn't this happened? It's because I, I either don't hear back or I don't know how to find them. Which of your favorite artists have you yet to see in concert? Oh, yeah. We already kind of touched on this. And speaking of AHA, they never come to the States. And if they do, they don't come to where I am. So I've never seen them and I would love to. Oh, they'd um, be good, wouldn't they? They would. I love them. I, there's so much more than I'm so tired of Take On Me. There are so many other things that are um, more interesting about them. Okay, another question from our friend Eric. Okay, Eric, this is one of these times, and it comes up on the podcast sometimes. You and I, Eric, interact almost daily somewhere, and yet when I have to say your name out loud, I realize I never do that. It's Eric Fidel Tiro, I'm going to say. You can correct me because I know you're listening. Uh, We literally interact with each other almost every day in some form or another. And yet I never say your full name out loud. And I don't, so I know you live in Nova Scotia. I know you're captain yacht rock, which is the funniest thing ever. If you want to follow hit, uh, Eric on Twitter, please do. Cause it's hilarious, but I don't know how to say your full name. Which question did you really want to ask, but didn't. And which question did you ask? And you wish you hadn't. That's a tough one because I ask pretty much everything I want to know. So uh, a couple that come to mind, Michelle Shocked, which got one vote as our worst episode of the year, but got several votes as being one of the best episodes of the year. I obviously have really conflicted feelings about that one, mainly because I I think I mentioned this before. People like her, Terrence Trent Darby, who are perceived as being sort of nutty, I think, well, I want to give them a platform to be their true selves. Let's let's scrape away the nuttiness stereotypes and really just get to know these people. Turns out they're both as nutty or nuttier than you think they are. And she just was, I was, I want, I tried to be respectful to her in our conversation. And there were times I wish that I had just called her out on her BS and I didn't because I was trying to be nice, but afterwards she was not nice to me. And so I wish that I had just sort of said what I wanted to say 
which is that I think what you said to gay people and that concert is horrible. I don't care where you were coming from, what angle you were trying to take. If you thought you were being funny, it doesn't read that way. And um, I, you have not convinced me that you didn't mean everything you said. And so, yeah, if you're going to say those things, your career does deserve to fall apart. You don't get to keep going. There are repercussions, as we're learning now. All the all the Republican senators like to say, but free speech, free speech. Yes, there's free speech and there's repercussions to free speech. You got to pay for what you say. And if you say stupid shit, you're going to get in trouble. And she said stupid shit. So anyway, I kind of wish that I had pushed back on her a little bit. Other than that, I, I, uh, I'm pretty good at things. I, in fact, I worry sometimes. I felt like I started out on this podcast being more journalistic, really trying to like uncover a story. And now it's so fun to talk about, to just get a producer on and say, tell me everything about Nick Cave and have them tell you their stories. You know, we don't get into the weeds very journalistically like we used to. I don't know what's better. I hope you guys like it. I try to be journalistic and, you know, and more uh, hard hitting when it makes sense. But it's also just fun to hear music stories. Anyway, that's my long answer to that, Eric. Let's see. David David Gutierrez asks, who is a band or artist you and Yan know is supposed to be great, but just can't get into? I think we sort of talked about some of those things already. Yeah, I just can't. I do not understand why people love Wilco the way that they do. I just, Jeff Tweedy is a great interview. The music to me is just so beige and boring. It started out interesting and it's gotten boring and I hate to say it. Plus his voice irritates me. Um, okay, what's the fun? Oh, go ahead. I can't understand why people like, you know, think like, you know, like trans music the way that they do. Totally over my head. You lost me. Right. Some of that, I got to admit, I really like. It depends on the mood that it creates, you know. Okay, Dave Greenberg asks, what's the funniest, best, weirdest anecdote, story, or question that you edited out? Don't have to name names. Can you think of one? Oh. I can't honestly think of one. No, me Other neither. Other than stuff that we needed to edit out because it probably would have insulted people. Right. The, the the only stuff we ever really edit out is uh, stuff they tell us to edit out. You know, you know, I shouldn't have said this or that. For instance, Cliff Magnus in our interview accidentally when he was talking about his son, he accidentally said first and only son, which he meant because he has two sons. But the way it sounded it as if he only only had he only had one. What he meant was at the time that son, his first son was born, obviously that he was his only son. So he asked us to cut that out because he didn't want his son to feel like he was forgetting him, which makes sense, you know. And the only other stuff that ever gets cut out is things where if I ask someone a question and their answer isn't very interesting, we cut that out. We what have cut it? some stuff out for time. Yeah. Before. Yeah, that's true. So, like, for instance, uh, El- Brad Elvis from the Elvis Brothers and the Romantics, he came on and he told a really long story about David Bowie, which was okay, but at the time, it just kind of went on too long. And so you and I had the idea of doing a compilation episode someday of all the Bowie stories people tell. Another one was the guy from Sly Fox, Michael Camacho. He also told a really long Bowie story that 
in the context of the episode was sort of making it drag a little bit, but we never went back to those. They probably don't need to, they weren't super duper interesting, you know? So yeah, that's it. Um, like for the James Williamson episode that came out recently, he, he was managed, he and the Stooges were managed early on by Helen Reddy's husband and Helen Reddy died, I think, the day before James and I did that interview. So I asked him, oh, Helen Reddy died. You must have a story. And he's like, not really. I never really interacted with her. So we just cut that out because it didn't go anywhere, you know? Stuff that we probably would want in when we did, if we ever did a Bowie story, Bowie stories would be Feed's Bowie story. Mm-hmm. That's the best Bowie story we've ever heard, isn't that it? That was hilarious. Yes. Oh, it's the best one. So yeah, that's about it. Um, Tony Lewis of the outfield, speaking of him, when I interviewed him, I was asking him some questions about John Spink's death, which I think came from, I think it was like alcohol poisoning. So I was asking about whether he was an alcoholic and Tony was very careful and sensitive about the wording around that. So we cut some of that out, understandably. There, we, You and I didn't think he's any of it was bad. It was just, he was trying to, he didn't want there to be any gray area about um, anything being negative being said about John Spinks, which is totally understandable. So we cut yeah. a lot of that out. We did have a guest in the last few months, maybe you can remember this, who talked about a song of theirs that's called Lolita. Uh, and it obviously goes back to the Nabokov novel, Lolita being a, you know, and he was saying that, um, their listeners, their fans hate this song. So many of the women in their in their fan base hate this song because it's about Lolita. And he was like, I don't really see it that way. Plus, that happens sometimes. Men get with really young women. And it, it was coming out in a way that he didn't, he was worried afterwards that it just, let's not inflame the people who already hate this song and hate that we did this song. So we cut that part out. But other than that, we don't cut out much. Yeah. Usually it's just cleaning things up. Yeah, that's really it. The only stuff that goes out is the stuff people ask us to put out, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, okay, the last question I think is from <laughs> from Ben Montgomery. What exactly is the definition of a weirdo? Asking for co-host Wayne. I called them weirdos once because of their taste in music, and it's just stuck, and now we that's kind of a inside joke. Ben and I refer to each other as weirdos all the time. I don't know. It's just a guy who has very strange opinions about music at least that's what it is when ben and i are talking to each other like you like that what a weirdo so <laughs> that's the definition that's where that comes from when you look i don't know when you look back on 2020 i mean i feel like we had just about the best year we've ever had you know i mean every guest but a handful were stellar you know I think every guest was was really good, and I don't think we have had a bad guest. No, no. I some of them don't turn out the way that the, uh, one of our other listeners picked Thor as his worst episode of the year. We only had a couple people pick worsts. Michelle got a vote, and Thor got a vote. And I understand where people are coming from. I really tried to kind of get behind the mask of Thor and get some interesting stuff out of there. And, and maybe it didn't work out, and that's fine. But anyway, no, well, I think yeah, there's... I loved that one because of the yeah. Elizabeth Shue story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Because he was supposed to be Thor in Adventures of Babysitting and got cut out or picked, uh, fired at the last second for Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. 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 It, uh, I mean, that's what I, I mean. I think every episode just about has some kernel 
of fun trivia in it somewhere, just about, you know? So. I think, you know, we're, you know, the amount of stuff we've got, we're, we're, I don't know what it's like for you guys right now in, in uh, I know you said Colorado's still pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Here in Scotland, we are really particularly tight right now because of the new variant that came out from down south we're trying to cut things out really cut down in in terms of the the case count we're really trying to try to cut so they've really clamped down a bit not as bad as it was last uh, you know this time last year but it's still you know it's still pretty tight i think if we can put more content out it'll help people get through this mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably, I'm sure you see the messages, the the countless messages we get from people saying that exact thing. You've helped me, you know, deal with quarantine and I can't tell you how much it means to be able to listen to this when I go on walks or I walk the dog or I'm driving around because quarantine has made it so hard. I mean, we're, I'm glad that you guys are feeling us that way because that's exactly what we're trying to, uh, trying to do. So I have about seven or eight interviews still in the can and two more being coming up this next week. Um, a little push for the, for uh, Patreon. If you want to join Patreon, it's $2 a month. Just set it and forget it. And that puts you in the running to win any swag we ever get. I need to draw the Chuck Berry Blu-ray winners. I haven't done that yet, but I will by the time this comes out and then five bucks a month, put you in, gives you all of that as well. But also I'll tell you who I'm interviewing and you can submit questions to those if you want. And, um, I try to be fully communicative and transparent with all of our Patreon, the $5 Patreon supporters for those things as well. So yeah, some things are coming. I'm slowly getting back into it. I haven't really, for obvious reasons, felt like doing any interviews lately, but I got a couple coming up, um, this next week that I'm happy about. So we'll see how it goes. And we could really, we really love the support. So thanks everybody. And go buy a t-shirt. Those are still on Amazon if you want them. Uh, every now and then, and you're all welcome to do this. If you are one of our listeners and you record your own music and it is available for purchase or streaming for people to check out, let us know and we'll try and incorporate it into one of these recap episodes. Well, a while back, one of our listeners, Mark Christopher, sent me a link to a song of his called Legend in the Wasteland. This is from 2018. It's got kind of that uh, rock rap vibe of like the late 90s, early 2000s, corn kind of thing. It doesn't sound like a hymn like my dad's song did, but that's okay. So if you want to search on Spotify or whatever for Mark Christopher, the song is Legend in This Wasteland. And uh, if you like this, go support our listeners, check it out, stream it, buy it, whatever you want to do. Okay. Anything else you can think of, Yan? No, I just, I just reiterate, encourage everybody to to stay safe mm-hmm. and and do everything they can to protect themselves. Yeah, uh, especially I think I mentioned this somewhere else. Especially if you interact at all with older people, anyone over the age of about sixty, they are very vulnerable. They're the most vulnerable. My dad was diabetic, which made him even extra vulnerable. 
please be conscientious of who, if you have a bubble and it's people your own age or whatever, that's, that's fine. But if you're going to be interacting with anyone who is elderly at all, please be super conscientious because that's, those are the majority of the people who are dying and they don't have to, it could, it, it could be avoided. Yeah, so uh, you get, you get people like my cousin and uh, he doesn't have to. Yes. How old's your cousin again? He is 52. Oh, a 52 year old is, a, is dying of COVID. That shouldn't happen. You know, anyway, please take it seriously, folks. Okay. We love you all. <laughs>